0: Slump Buster Podcast. Slump Buster
1: Podcast. The first quarter starts now. Well, this off season was definitely the first off season that we really started to question what the future of Tom Brady was going to be in the NFL. We have a little bit more clarity on Tom's future. It involves $375 million to sign on as Fox's lead color commentator. Tom Brady, 10 years broadcasting. Is this kind of like the future you pictured happening for the greatest of all time, Kyle?
0: At the right dollar figure, I guess that's what I envisioned. But I don't think a month ago, I would have thought this was a thing. And I guess I assumed that Tom Brady has an opt out in that deal somewhere where if he decides he doesn't want to to go to Fox, then he can always just leave. But I mean, a month ago, he was going to be the president of the Dolphins and the Dolphins were going to trade for his rights. And he was going to go from Tampa to Miami, allegedly. And then the Brian Flores lawsuit happened. Like it's something that makes sense if Tom Brady's going to retire and get equity equity. equity within the NFL, the same way Peyton Manning's starting to acquire equity in the NFL as you know, the Broncos are going to sell in a week. and I assume that Peyton Manning is going to be involved somehow in that ownership group? It's interesting to see it. I guess it makes sense now that I've been told that it's going to happen. But if you had like asked me in the beginning, is this something that's going to happen regardless of the dollar figure, which I think nobody could have believed the dollar figure that he was going to get.
1: Add a little bit more perspective on that. So the highest paid sports broadcast, this is according to the athletic Tom Brady, number one, 37.5 million per year. Jim Rome, Jim Rome still a legend, still making money, even works for CBS. 30 million Jim Rome is making Tony Romo behind him at 18 mil. Then you have Michael Strahan for Fox, also at 17 mil. So Fox is definitely doling out some dollars to its high-profile sports personalities. And then Stephen A is actually fifth on this list at 10 million Tom Brady jumps immediately to the top of the ladder and you know it was going to take a big figure offer from Fox to get him to sign on to their broadcast because I'm sure even ESPN who just signed Aikman and just signed Buck if Tom Brady said he was open to broadcast even ESPN might have doled out that dollar CBS if they heard Tom Brady was available don't think they'd immediately kick Romo out but if the option is between Tony Romo and Tom Brady I think the option for CBS would have been clear on who they would have preferred. Amazon's out there, obviously looking for streaming personalities. They got Herb Street, but Herbie, Tom Brady wants in. Sorry, Herbie, you're gone. It's kind of like when Tom Brady was picking his NFL team or he had a little bit of say, I don't care if you have Jameis Winston. Sorry. I kind of like called the shots around here for me as a Tom Brady fan. I love the idea of hearing him on continued NFL broadcasts. And I think he will be able to provide a unique insight into the game that not a lot of other color commentators are able to do obviously we've seen some greats. we've seen Aikman who's a three-time Super Bowl champion but he never played quarterback at quite the level that Tom Brady's played quarterback obviously no one's played quarterback at the level that Tom Brady's played quarterback and Tony Romo kind of a middling quarterback somewhere in the middle Hall of very good had a couple great seasons but obviously nowhere near the caliber of Tom now the, the one thing I should note is obviously Just because you're great at one thing doesn't mean you'll be great at another thing. We saw Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh was arguably the greatest coach in the NFL history at the point that he tried to mess around in the broadcast booth. And it was just not really a fit. I think Joe Montana even had his day in the sun of trying to make it as a color commentator. And Joe Montana wasn't necessarily good for that role. Steve Young was a great personality, but never really got in the booth. He was always better as like a sideline character. So what will Tom Brady be like on a broadcast? Now, I think I've grown an appreciation for Tom's humor. I think what he's done on Twitter and what he's done on his social media presence has made me love Tom Brady so much more as a personality. So I am intrigued to see how he relates that chemistry building between him and his co host
0: Yeah. So this is an interesting part about this, which is the NFL decided a long time ago that our lead broadcasters, like the people who are on the primetime games and calling Super Bowls and all of this, are, are primetime broadcasters are either going to be the best of the best at what they do, or they're going to be incredibly famous people. And they're going to be incredibly famous people who, when they were active players, were being marketed as the, the, the stars of the NFL, shall we say. So in the 1980s, it was Terry Bradshaw and it was Lynn Swan, the, the two stars of the Steel Curtain Steelers who made not have been the best players they're both hall of famers but obviously everyone thinks of the defense and all that but it's the quarterback and the wide receiver of their premier dynasty and it was oj simpson on the side of the broadcast in the 1980s and then they moved on john madden was a hall of fame coach who retired at 40 years old to become the prodigy broadcaster and i've heard
1: this theory here sean McVay, he has to be looking at this brady contract with a little bit more intrigue
0: Oh, of course. Oh, Peyton Manning should be also, but we'll get to that in a little bit. The the point I was saying there is like, so the NFL decided a while ago that they were just going to have famous people on their broadcasts. And when they were players, they were going to advertise the hell out of them to grow the league. And when they retired, they would become broadcasters. And who were the most famous players of the 1990s and 2000s? Well, ironically, they were Dallas Cowboys because the Dallas Cowboys were the America's team mantra of the NFL. And you could sell those values in your broadcast booth. So it was Troy Aikman. And then it was the magic of capturing Tony Romo. It was MVP quarterback, Boomer Esiason. It was Phil Simms with the New York Giants, Super Bowl winning quarterback. It was, we're going to take the quarterbacks and we're going to put them in the broad. Dan Marino even was a broadcaster for a little bit on CBS too. So that's the formula they decided a while ago. Now they pivoted from that a little bit with John Gruden, even though John Gruden is kind of in the John Madden mold of champion coach who who then slides into the broadcast booth with the personality archetypes and things like that but is still like a, a big pro NFL guy and then like in the 90s the NFL passed baseball as the most popular sport and in the 2000s when they were becoming the 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 king sport of America and every franchise is worth billions of dollars it was Tom Brady Peyton Manning Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, that was what they sold you for the rivalry. Sometimes it was Patriots Colts. Sometimes it was Patriots Broncos, but overwhelmingly it was welcome to Sunday night football. It's Brady Manning 15 here on the the NFL broadcast. And And we're still
1: seeking that in our modern game. We're still looking for who is our current Brady Manning. We don't really have that rivalry because (laughs) we haven't seen two young guns Consistently, year after year, if it's a up Mahomes year, it's a down Lamar year. If it's a up Allen year, it's a bad Burrow year. We've had kind of a yeah. mix over the last few years. Yet we still have Tom Brady being the one constant.
0: <laughs> and and we as American sports fans really like the 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 one and two. Narrative. So think about the times that like niche sports became super popular. It was Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Serena and Venus Williams, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, even go to Major League Eating. It was Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi. There's a really good documentary on that on have ESPN ever too. Have you seen the anime
1: that. Afro Ninja?
0: I, I have not. No.
1: It's this concept that there's the number one and number two headband And if you're the samurai that has the number one headband, whoever has the number two is always trying to kill you, take you out. The Mm -hmm. rite of passage is to always have the number two headband. So you have the right to challenge the person for the number one headband. We haven't had a definitive number two for that headband, at least of the newer generation. And even unfortunately, and I know this is going to hit you sometimes even like Patrick Mahomes, who's our closest thing to our number one quarterback, even he kind of like, obviously taking 30 yard sacks in the AFC championship game. Has those kind of moments, so he's great. Obviously, I'm not debating the Patrick so, Holmes is great, but I, I don't yeah. think it's been as clear cut as it was in those two thousands of Peyton Manning, Tom Brady's success.
0: And and by the way, I'm not even arguing that's the best way to go about it. I'm just saying, like we as a sports ethos, like we as Americans, really like the idea of a Goliath and a David, like a worthy adversary to a Goliath. In in Europe, they don't do this type of like selling of sports. It's franchises, it's teams, it's rivalries every now and then, but it's not specifically like that this is just a uniquely american thing that we've decided we really like in sports
1: i would also say in the nfl it's easier to do with the quarterback position because we can point to the quarterback position is the most important position on the field with soccer uh yeah there's obviously some definite alphas there's a Give me a famous soccer player. I'm, I'm struggling.
0: Uh, Wayne Rooney. How about that? I can tell you modern Ronaldo, ones. How about, of
1: course, Ronaldo. Yeah.
0: Ronaldo Messi. Think about Messi, that. They yes. even they even sold that a little bit to Americans. Because what are the two things Americans know about soccer? Ronaldo and Messi. They even did that during a time back in the day. But well,
1: now we have our Christian Pulisic.
0: That's our American. But I ask you right now, who is the best soccer player in the world?
1: I'm going to go Pulisic just because I'm going Team USA, baby. <laughs>
0: Pulisic's a backup on Chelsea. Anyways, so the idea is like we love this ethos. And so once these players start to retire, I, by the way, I think the modern NFL, they figured out we can sell all eight of our star quarterbacks. We don't have to do one and two, although Allen Mahomes works. We can sell everyone. But the, the idea is
1: they for can, but the NFL. Also, you can sell anything. You can also sell the Jacksonville Jaguars to be on a Thursday night.
0: Exactly. They don't have to worry about it anymore because they already achieved. So they decided, like, if we've been selling Brady and Manning for 15 years, why would we stop selling Brady and Manning now? And by the way, Brady and Manning know the leverage that they have in this place, and they're using it to try and get equity within the NFL. I think
1: we're also spoiled, too, because both those... Guys are great personalities. If they were as interesting as a board of wood, I don't think that this story would be nearly as big as it is. But since Tom Brady (laughs) has really changed the narrative on him from being the good old boy, Tom Brady, quiet, uh mild mannered, humble, to now we see him as a little bit of a party Tom. Is like, is that gonna be his broadcast personality? Is he gonna be the more analytical personality? Like, what Tom Brady do you want to see in the book? What would add to the broadcast the most for you?
0: I subscribe to the idea. I don't know if you know who John Skipper is. He used to be the guy who runs ESPN. And he brought up this great point, which is their evidence concluded that the broadcast teams on NFL games and NBA games does not change the amount of viewership on any of these games. So that yes, broadcasters do not you, you affect will have the
1: volume way. on for that first game that Tom Brady broadcast. What do you want to hear from him?
0: I don't know. I guess just don't be, don't be Bruce Arians. Don't be like noticeably terrible at broadcasting.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: If you you can, if you can be okay, I'm fine with it. And they can, it's not my money. You can pay him whatever you want. I also have a, a fire take here that might get some people little riled up when you talked about that these people have good personalities. I find Peyton Manning incredibly fake. I find Peyton Manning to be incredibly not genuine, and I don't like him as a broadcaster. People disagree with me on that. Some people really like the Manning cast. Some people like the idea of him saying nothing interesting to Russell Wilson with a shitty microphone on ESPN2. I disagree on that one. And what's interesting about that is before even Tony Romo signed an $18 million contract with CBS, Peyton Manning turned down $20 million a year to be the Monday Night Football broadcaster. And it was a good choice. In hindsight, it was a really good idea to turn it down because he could go to Amazon and ask for $400 million tomorrow and he'd get it. It's really interesting how ESPN wanted Peyton Manning so bad that they were willing to buy his ESPN Plus program and basically loan Omaha Productions three hours of time on a few Mondays to do a Manning cast broadcast. Like Omaha Productions put on the Manning cast, they got the guests, they did the production, all of that stuff. And ESPN was like, we'll sign up for Peyton Manning being on our broadcast the same way Fox signed up for Tom Brady as the lead broadcaster.
1: I kind of hear where you're coming from with the Manning cast specifically. I watched it a couple of times and wasn't incredibly entertaining Entertained. there was those moments where you saw some quality drop-offs where they're interviewing people over zoom and it just doesn't quite translate to tv and they don't necessarily have chemistry which each and every guest that they were bringing on they have great chemistry together the manning brothers obviously they've grown up together they've been around each other their entire lives so they have great chemistry with each other but sometimes you add in that extra variable of a guest that they don't quite vibe with you mentioned a russell wilson who's not terribly interesting personality himself. You throw that onto a broadcast and also just kind of have football in the background. Maybe it was a little bit of a turnoff for people. I think he's entertaining in short spurts. I mean, obviously I've seen him entertaining me on commercials, television shows, short cameos, doing a little bit of stand-up on the Comedy Central roast. He has a great comedic timing, but maybe that doesn't translate to a full three hours of broadcasting and maybe a traditional broadcast for Peyton Manning might've been better for him to have that, straight man in the booth calling the game that play-by-play guy while well, he just kind of chimes in with either again a quick comedic burst a quick comedian quip or with something that actually makes you analyze and think about the game only fair for someone like Tom Brady is I feel like now that Tony Romo has kind of made it a point to almost predict what play is going to happen next does a guy like Tom Brady see that and while I'm better at analyzing a football field than Tony Romo ever was and tries to become Tony Romo's brand, essentially, of being the play predictor, except I'm Tom Brady, so I have to do it at an up level, because Tom probably could. Tom could probably look at every formation, every set on the football field, and tell you exactly what's going to happen at this point in his NFL career, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the best for him on TV. Um, I would like to see a little bit of that social media presence, that social media Tom Brady that we've seen develop over the last few years. (laughs) Okay, well, here's the game. You know, let's not take away from the game too much. That's also going to be an important thing for Tom to do because I feel as though this is going to be a tough job for Tom. I know when he retires, he'll say he's retired and will think he's good with the decision, but to be there seeing the game and let's say he has another good season. Let's say he doesn't go out on a whimper, doesn't have a 2019 Tom Brady season. Then I could imagine him being in that booth and dying inside that he's not on the football field. I think I've heard stories in the past of Dan Marino almost getting a call while he was in the booth to go out there and play and him wanting to be out there. A guy like Tom Brady, I think will take every moment that he's not on the field personally, especially if he knows that subpar talent like if there is subpar quarterback play and Tom Brady's in the booth I'm curious to see how he reacts to that moment like is he just ripping these guys apart because he knows what good quarterback play looks like I could see a little bit of that in Tom
0: so to answer your original question, my rule for broadcasters is don't be terrible. Just don't be bad at broadcasting. If you if I don't notice you, you're doing a good job. So like I was fine with Booger McFarland. I was fine with Lou Riddick and I'm fine with Brian Greasy because like, yeah, you're not interesting, but also you're, you're not changing the game at all. You're just good at what the game is. So as long as you're not terrible, that's all good with me. As long as Tom Brady has a monicum of like professional broadcasting training, I'm cool with it. So there's not much Tom Brady can do to... appease me in that way. But what's interesting about what you were talking about is like Tom Brady, I'd assume he's not going to be the guy who predicts plays. And I assume he's not going to be the guy who rips other people on the air. It's going to be more of like a, 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 a compliment broadcast similar. I, I don't think Tom Brady's going to come in here and change the game as Who's a broadcaster. His pro comp? Who's his, Who's pro, his comp? pro comp. I assume Tom Brady's not going to innovate and change the broadcasting game. Like I just assume he's going to come in and be whatever, like he's going to be a Troy. Aik- we don't think of Troy Aikman as a stud broadcaster, but he's done it long enough that he's really, really good at doing color commentary. And every now and then he's going to slip up and reveal that Matthew Stafford had a shoulder injury in the playoffs last year. Or he'll give
1: some sort of quip. I've seen, certainly this last year, I feel like Troy was more frustrated on broadcast than he's ever been. And this might've been him thinking about his next steps in life. But you saw a little bit of those little cracks in the professionalism starting to come out on display, especially when he was talking about being disappointed that Fox didn't have the Cowboy Niner game this last year's playoff and how he wanted to call that one. You saw I see Troy Aikman start to be a little bit more frustrated than he's ever been. Fox, they saw their top two broadcasters leave and made the executive decision. We're going to make sure that we have the best booth because this is going to be your Super Bowl team. This is going to be Mm -hmm. the Super Bowl commentators that you roll out there, whether Tom's good at this or bad at this. You want Tom Brady on your Super Bowl broadcast.
0: I'm interested by who they put as the number one now, because you know you're waiting for Tom Brady to retire. So is it like Greg Olson, you get to be the number one until Tom Brady retires, then we kick you out. I'm interested to see who takes the job now. has been the
1: consensus that it's going to be Greg Olson that's part of Fox's number one team which we'll see how much longer a Brady we have in the league, too. Obviously, this is last year under contract in Tampa. Does he decide to finish his career in Tampa? Does he do it in Miami? Does he go to San Francisco? Does he end up this, that, or the other? Uh, that That's still a very fluid situation, but we have a little clarity on what Tom's going to do after he retires from the NFL. He's going to go get that bag, $375 million worth of it. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. We are joined today by Michael Matthew in the wake of some comments from Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. Jeannie is clearly frustrated. She did a tell-all interview with Bill Plaschke of the Los Angeles Times to talk about the current state of the franchise after really one of the most disappointing seasons in NBA history. The Lakers obviously were talking about as title contenders coming into this year with the trio of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, but never really materialized. In fact, one of Jeannie's quotes was something to the effect of, when you spend that kind of money on the luxury tax, you expect to go deep into the playoffs. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. There's been reports of Lakers ownership and the Lakers front office putting a little bit of blame on Anthony Davis and LeBron James over the Russell Westbrook trade and how that was a little bit of a colossal flop for the franchise. Michael, when you see Genie's comments, when you hear Genie's comments, how does that make you feel as a Lakers
2: fan? No, nah, man, it's just, you know, it's troubling some time right now for the Lakers fans. We just don't know where the team is going, you know what I'm saying? And I, and you hear this and you kind of know that LeBron and his team has had too much pull. And, you know, players have to play. And that's what LeBron has said, you know, in his, uh, like, outro interview that, you know, he's going to kind of take a step back. But he should have did that from the beginning. Like, let management do their job. They have to earn their check. Because if he would have let them earn their check, the Lakers would have came out with Buddy Hill, more cap space, and had the right fit for the team that, you know, the Lakers needed to be that championship contender. But it just didn't work out, man. And Jeannie Buss has every right to be frustrated. You know, if you're watching the show, The Winning Time, clearly she's like her dad who's like, damn it, I want to win. And we have to do anything to do so. So she's just really frustrated. You know, Anthony Davis, it sucks because his is with injuries, things like that. But yeah, they can't allow them to make these decisions anymore and as a Laker fan it comes down to this can we really win a championship either the next two years and if that's not the case maybe we need to just go into a rebuild maybe we just build through Anthony Davis and hope that he stay healthy and build players or we just trade whoever we can and just start from scratch, man. So we, we're kind of lost right now.
1: Kyle, obviously you have some latent Lakers fandom in you from your childhood. <laughs> and this franchise, you grew up with it when they were awful, when they were clearly the second best team in Los Angeles. And you make that argument that they're still the second best team in Los Angeles over the last decade, aside from the one title year. Uh, we we went back and forth a Quite a few times on uh, the Lakers, obviously selling their soul to get LeBron James in town, it paying off in a title and obviously that young core all being gone in different directions. What do you think is the logical next move for the Lakers?
0: yeah. so, so, for Mike Helen, like people who don't know. So I was like eight or nine years old. I think nine years old when the Lakers um this the last Kobe championship was. So
2: 2010.
0: yeah, twenty ten. so I would have, think I would have been nine years old at that point because it was in June, and that's around when my birthday is. So at that point, the Lakers, I thought there was like eight teams in the NBA back then. Like, I didn't really understand how how the NBA worked, but it was like, ah, oh, cool. Lakers won a championship. Awesome. I, I joke all the time is like, in my memorable lifetime, the Clippers have been a beacon of stability. And the Lakers have been one of the worst run organizations in the NBA because they had a worse record than the Knicks and the Sixers during the 2010s decade. So I grew up loving D'Angelo Russell and Larry Nance and Kuzma and Lonzo and Jordan Clarkson and, and all those baby Lakers were like super yeah. fun for me And to the watch. tough part
1: about that discussion is obviously all of those guys are shining in other places. And that's another thing that Lakers fans are looking at is like, damn, Julius Randle's popping off with New York or Lonzo balls having success back end of new Orleans and a little bit with Chicago or yeah. hey, I,
2: I can't let you guys slide with the Lakers will never be second class in LA. They, no. have, <laughs> they have 17 championships. Like they're the best and biggest team in the NBA. So you were able yeah. to catch okay. the, the Lakers win two championships. So the Lakers were pretty much chasing the Celtics. Now we caught them. Now it's nothing. Oh, yeah, we, we cannot win for ten years and we're still the Lakers. So
0: we're not even we're not even talking about the Celtics in this conversation. Like <laughs> but the, I, the I Celtics think, have two championships in the last
1: thirty five years. I think the problem <laughs> here is, and hey, I see you taking shots. You're laying my boys' cat strays. Okay, fine. <laughs> screw you, Kyle, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, I, I think when we talk about this, it's uh, we're, we're talking about a decade. It's been quite a while since the Lakers have been a stable year to year franchise because the bubble year is sandwiched in between a terrible disappointing year but prior and another disappointing play-in round early exit to the Phoenix Suns the year after throw in just you know extra cheese or whatever on top this 2021 season that was just absolute garbage I mean statistically according to Vegas considering they were a top two title favorite There's a good argument to be made that they had the most disappointing season in NBA history by entirely missing the playoffs, missing an expanded Mm -hmm. playoff with a play in field of 10 teams hard to come back from, especially when you talk about having three Hall of Famers on your roster, because what the Russell Westbrook thing and obviously we all looked at it and thought of it as a way of filling the gap of Anthony Davis or LeBron James missed time. Well, Anthony Davis and LeBron James both missed time, but Russell Westbrook was unable to adequately fill that role and take over for them as a superstar. And when he did take over, it was marred by stupid turnovers and bad shooting. And he was an easy scapegoat for this entire season. Um, and it still continues to be the scapegoat of the offseason as the Lakers look for answers on how to fix and make this team better i actually did see some trade scenarios that were bandied about as far as how can the lakers move on from this and get better here's one i want to throw your guys away and see if this is adequate value in a potential russell westbrook trade uh, okay. so this was on Keyshawn j will and max a hypothetical three-way trade between the lakers Knicks, and bulls lakers get zach levine Knicks get russell westbrook a 2027 first round pick in a 2028 first round pick. So a little bit of a salary dump situation for the Knicks. I saw and this. The Bulls get Julius Randle and Evan Fournier. Uh, is that a win for all three teams or who yeah, do you think I, would be the main beneficiary I, in that one? I
2: think the, the Knicks lose for sure. You know, I don't like it at all for them. You know, unless they say, Hey, we're just going to rebuild. We have, you know, RJ Barrett, we have Obi Toppin and these guys there, then that works. But, uh, for the Lakers, it's a win. You know, I think Zach Levine fits better because he's more of a true off guard. If you studied the game of basketball and studied LeBron James, you realize that he is truly a point forward. At this point, he is best with the ball in his hand most of the time. So he needs a guy that can catch and shoot and move without the ball and score. So it'll be a great, great win for the Lakers. So as a Lakers fan, I'm all for it. But I know the Knicks are like, no way, no how. <laughs> Um, I'm with you
1: there. Yeah. Awful.
0: So, so the, the Knicks are not doing that, but for the bulls standpoint, the bulls lose also, but the bulls are in a compromised position. Cause like Zach Levine's a free agent. So like, yeah. if they do a sign and trade, you just like get whatever you can for him. Cause get there's a size with there.
1: Randall. I mean, they had a sign Tristan Thompson to get any kind of, Rim presence late in the season, so I guess if Julius randall plays like he did a couple of years ago, that would be a win for the Bulls, considering the contract yeah, of their it's, team.
0: It's not as bad that way. I like the one that people threw out about like Malcolm Brogdon and like a salary filler or something like that, but that's it's not great for the well, Lakers. The Lakers that, basically... that's part of the problem,
1: right? Though the salary matching that comes with Russell mm-hmm. Westbrook and why some of these trade situations are hard to envision and yeah. beg the question: Is Russell Westbrook just going to be on the Lakers again next year? which I don't know if, Mike Cal, you're enthused at that possibility. Kyle, do you you see that as a very real possibility that they open the year with Russell Westbrook?
0: So there's three options they can do, right? They can trade Westbrook and maybe they have to like attach picks or something to it. And if they don't want to do that, they got two options. They can keep Russell Westbrook. Or they can like buy out Russell Westbrook in like January or February. Like they just tell him to like go home for three months. Yeah. We'll buy you out once the season yeah, starts, the whatever that is.
2: And I, I think the major thing before they even get to personnel, I think the Lakers have to really look at themselves and say, what are we doing here? What do we want to do? Do we want to try to win a championship now with Braun? If that's the case, you try to move Russell, get the best deal you can, and try to get a lot of three and D guys and some size to go there. Or you say, maybe we want to wait two years. So then you think about trading LeBron James and say, Hey, let's, let's remove LeBron James. Let's kind of like get what we can build through AD and the players that we pick up in two years, see what we can do. Or you even go the four year plan where you say, Hey, let's trade LeBron. Let's try to trade Anthony Davis. Let's truly start from scratch like they did the years when they were able to draft ball and Brandon Ingram and Clarkson and those guys. So I think that's what it's going to come down to is like, what are we doing? When, when do we feel we can really win a championship before you sign a coach, before you make these moves? I think that's what they have to uh, think about first.
1: I'll throw another realistic, according to salary cap experts, realistic trade possibility. And this one I, I like a lot because I, I think this is the most potential mutual any team can be in a Russell Westbrook trade. Uh, the Lakers receive Derek Favors and Mike Muscala and the Thunder receive Russell Westbrook and a couple of Lakers first round picks. Uh, now that the Lakers can open up the floodgates for their 2027 picks. OKC might be one of the few franchises I could think that is- Sign me up, Um, even though they're not trying to win anything now.
2: um,
1: Best case scenario, right? Because how many teams at this point, too, are also in the Westbrook business? How many teams are looking at him and thinking he's a piece away from them being an NBA title Mm -hmm. contender, which I think obviously should be the goal of every front office. You're looking for people that put you a little bit closer to his title. Clearly, he put the Lakers behind their title goals. When you look at the Wizards the year before, Kind of a weird mix with Bradley Bill, but they were able to at least be a playoff team or a fringe playoff team. Things obviously never really fit chemistry-wise with him in Harden, and since you're running out of like good places, I've heard the Hornets. He,
2: he's Allen Iverson. Um, when you look at the end of Allen Iverson's career, it was kind of like you couldn't have him on a team that was trying to win a championship because he wasn't a, a back of role player. And you couldn't play him with young guys because he's too good to just sit behind these young guys. So Russell was at a tough, tough spot. Mm -hmm. That's why the OKC fit is perfect because it's kind of like, hey, we're going to play out your contract here. Hopefully you retire so that we can retire you here and make this, you know, uh, swan song for you and things like that. Because I just can't see a young team signing him because he's going to block the growth of your young guys. He's not the greatest of leaders per se. And then... For a championship-building team, like what team that can win a championship would you say, oh, he can come and start on that team? Let's yeah, start let's, let's think big. about those teams. Let's, let's think about, like, the teams. It was the Lakers, this, though, right?
0: This, the Lakers were the team who he was going to no, come in and start for a championship, yeah, and now yes, that's over. Man, it's we, we looked
1: at that and always thought that it was a weird fit. We Everyone yeah. thought it was a weird fit because, obviously, the type of players you typically surround LeBron James with, uh, Russell Westbrook didn't fit that mold, and it, it was only amplified by how bad his defense was was how bad the turnovers were all of us had rose gold glasses and they were amplified by his triple doubles his stats his athleticism and i just don't think it's conducive to winning an nba title so i don't know if you're a title contender you're you're saying this is the guy i need this is even if because he was a third guy on the lakers this year and it Mm -hmm. was not good for the lakers it was not good for him well he he should have been the third guy.
2: Malik Monk was the third best player.
1: <laughs> so what are, you, what are you saying then? Is he the fourth guy? Is he the fifth guy? Is he that sixth guy? And hey. then that comes to the ego stuff. Can he like put his ego aside and come off the bench? There's, there's a lot. There's of only things. one
2: team. There's only one team I think that can save him. I think, and it, it won't happen, but it'll be the Golden State Warriors. I think that they have put him in a system to be like, hey, your ass better find a way to fit in here. And we got a bunch of shooting and playmakers that they can make it work. But to be honest, man, as far as winning the championship, I can't see a team adding Russell that is going to, like, happen. Like, he can go, like, maybe you send him to Indiana for Brogdon and Buddy Hill and say, go there and average triple doubles, you know what I'm saying, and do that thing but not win. And I just can't see him playing for a championship.
1: Actually, that is one of the other realistic trade offers there is here for Russell Westbrook, Brogdon, and Hill, you mentioned – uh, trade that for Russell Westbrook, Kendrick Nunn, and an additional draft compensation. That was also another approved trade.
0: Yeah, I mean, the end of his career is going to look a lot like how we talked about Dwight Howard in like 2016 or 2017, it feels like, where there's a whole lot of like slander about what kind of player he used to be versus now, but once he changes the way he plays and becomes more of a role type player, he'll have a niche somewhere, kind of like what Carmelo Anthony has now too. Like that, that's probably where it goes. I think we're just a couple of years away from that like combined with the fact he's caught in in the literal middle of a power struggle between clutch management and the los angeles lakers at this point because the lakers gave him the power they they gave lebron's team the 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 power to make roster moves and now they're like trying to take back the power after a bad season and and it it's a really ugly power struggle let's talk about that a
1: little bit Uh, so genie also had a little bit of comments on clutch do they have final say no. Are are they running this team? No, no, not at all. She she had to push back immediately to the idea that Clutch is running their team. But um, objectively, Lies. It, it, it's a whole yeah. civil war going. You have Phil Jackson now and Magic Johnson back in the front <laughs> office. I'm glad you mentioned winning time at the start of this, Michael, because I feel like we're going back to winning time. Who, who next are they going to call off the bench? Are we going to get some Paul Westhead in there just to get some sort of
2: uh old (laughs) lakers guard these guys want titles with us (laughs) nick van axel nick yeah eddie jones where's where's nick and eddie jones let them run the show but make Derek
0: fisher the head coach
2: uh he's with the sparks man let let him stay over there uh you know we see the nba already but yeah the lakers just have to uh figure it out and it's going to be up to buzz palinka and those guys they already put it in the hands of i know she said clutch is not in control clearly lies because your two-star players who helped make the biggest trade of the offseason last year are part of Clutch. So Clutch does run, you know, the team. Look at the names. You pay THT money, Clutch. KCP. Yeah, K- clutch. Can we talk you about what what how I mean? the Lakers
1: finessed everyone and thinking THT was something?
2: No, that that was Clutch. That was Clutch finessed yeah. everyone. And made the Lakers actually think. Zach Levine.
1: The reason he's being so closely linked to the Lakers is clutch. clutch. <laughs> yeah,
0: I remember when, um, I, I joke for years, Contavious Caldwell Pope every year would get one year contracts with the Lakers, it'd be like 15 million, 12 million, 18 yeah. million. That's clutch, clutch yeah. clients use the Lakers cap space as an asset for their clients which is incredibly smart and like LeBron James part of the condition of joining the Lakers was that clutch management was going to get to make roster decisions they literally had a trade in place for Buddy Heald last year yeah. and then clutch management got involved and two days later Russell Westbrook was traded to the Lakers like it's it's as transparent as it can be and Genie Bus has to say that clutch isn't in control because you have to give the illusion of, of control for your organization
1: and I, I think part of that struggle is obviously the Lakers and Genie have also been criticized for being a family business or running the Lakers like a family business during this time. Post uh, Doctor Bus, now you have this agent conglomerate in Rich Paul and Clutch Sports going against the family business, and who's going to win this power struggle? Because I, this might dictate the future of the Lakers for the next ten years, where this power struggle goes and. Who's going to actually in the long run be owning the Lakers? Is it going to stay with the Bus family or is is the Lakers franchise going to continue to slide and someone else slides in? I don't know.
2: Magic. Let, let magic buy them. <laughs> <laughs> that's been a that's been a conversation. And
1: obviously, again, watching many winning time, enjoying the history and learning about that. Um, kind of fun to look at how the origin started from Dr. Bus being a real estate mogul to pretty much their family business is in the Lakers, yeah. in the mm-hmm. Lakers, in the basketball organization. And I, I think that's why they're really trying to dig in deep and try and put that dividing line, because if you just continue to allow ground, allow ground, allow ground, it, it's going to be impossible to get this team back on the right track. And I think that's why there's a lot of pressure on this offseason, right? Whatever mm-hmm. they do, whether that's to trade Russell Westbrook or trade Anthony Davis or trade LeBron James, that's been talked about. Yeah. They they need to do something. They can't remain stagnant and just, Retain the status quo while they have no draft assets and diminishing assets on their roster.
2: They have to figure it out just because, man, LeBron James is aging. And we all saw what happened when Kobe aged and he retired, what the Lakers looked like for years. We can be at that very same place if they don't do something now. You know, they did, they were able to get an Anthony Davis. But as you can see, uh, Charles Barkley called him street clothes because he can never be healthy. Um, you know, that has hurt the lakers future because we like we don't even know if he's going to be available to play in two years so the lakers have to get whatever they can with these next few years of lebron whether that's winning or trading him for assets to get them ready for the future what they couldn't do with their agent kobe bryant
0: And Juju mentioned diminishing returns like that's that's the thing I've argued for why you don't trade Anthony Davis, because like you don't sell low on on Anthony Davis right now, because unless you can get like a real bona fide star in return. But it's the same argument for like the whole team is if you're losing value, at what point do you just cut your losses? I'm really interested to see, though, if management for the Lakers decides that they're not going to get rid of Russell Westbrook and like they're not willing to like dump 2029 and 2028 first round picks to get rid of them that might be the impasse they need to kind of like get the gears turning on like putting the ball in clutch's court and by extension lebron james like putting the ball in their court to be like what are you gonna do next and like yeah. figuring out whether or not this is this is gonna get sped up quickly or like they play out next year and lebron gets and, to be a and, free agent and
2: because how the media works you know the narrative is never against lebron james it's always for him for the most part if you truly look at why the team failed, it was a big part was LeBron. Like they brought in Russell to be Russell, which he finished strong in Washington. That's how they were able to push and make it to the playoffs. But LeBron didn't change his game. Like LeBron wasn't willing to play off the ball and be, everybody thought he was going to play power forward. You were going to see more Anthony Davis at the center because they were going to play that role. But LeBron is still like, nope, I'm a point forward. I need the ball. So now you have one of the worst shooting guards, probably in the history of the NBA, it comes to star players playing off the ball doing catch and shoot shots it just didn't make any sense so if they even think of bringing russell back is going to once again is lebron at this age going to be willing to take a step to the side to be a true forward and let russell run the show um and you know see what happens from there
1: I i gotta ask you obviously there's an open head coaching position for the lakers Quinn Snyder reportedly wasn't interested because of all this drama that's happening behind the scenes, and mm-hmm. technically Quinn Snyder is still the Utah Jazz coach, as far as I know. And then Mike Brown uh, just signed to be the Sacramento Kings head coach. <laughs> that was another person that was high on the priority list. You look at. Can that, I say that, real look,
0: quick about that before we you move look at on? The list,
1: Sorry. though, you look at the list, and the other only name that was listed on there was Doc Rivers, who's still in a playoff series, probably on the outs as. Miami just rolled them in game five. I don't don't think you could sell that to the fan base, right? You can't sell like a Doc Rivers to the fan base. Are you going to sell a new guy, a a newbie head coach
2: to the fan base?
1: What's the right move here?
2: For me, y'all may be like, what? But Mark Jackson, (laughs) I think Mark Jackson will be a great coach because they need someone who's going to make them accountable. And I think Mark Jackson, he learned his lesson being away from, you know, uh, coaching for a while. People forget that it was him that created that team in Golden State. He just happened to leave, and Steve Kerr took advantage. But I think Mark Jackson could be a coach that's going to step in and say, LeBron, I need better from you. You know, you're chasing the goat, so I need to see that. AD, do what you got to do in offseason. Get your body ready. Once you're here, I need you to dominate. If Russell is still there, hey, you have you can't turn over the ball. If you can't shoot threes, don't shoot threes. Go to the rack, create for others. I think somebody like Mark Jackson will be a great, great coach that a lot of fans will be behind because, you know, uh, you know, Mark Jackson is big time.
0: You know how bad it has to be for someone to choose Sacramento over your team? As someone who's living <laughs> here in Sacramento? You know how bad shit has to be if they're picking Sacramento over your organization?
2: Yeah, but Mike Brown we've been there, done that. Uh he's been a coach of the Lakers. So I don't I don't think they really were thinking about um, you know, doing that twice. They're uh, they're also
1: talking about Dan Tony. I've heard Dan Tony's name thrown around. For Dan Stay Tony, away. The, the, the question I've heard about him is like, does Dan Tony want a job like that, or would he rather just go to to charlotte for example with a young lamello ball you know (laughs) (laughs) try and make something of that team make that team at least fun versus being on the lakers where you have the weight of the world on you uh stepping into that role i I don't think this is a winning situation for any coach stepping in vogel was able to get the most out of it in the championship ring but um position where you're going to be taking it on the chin every single day you walk in that office
2: But what's crazy is that with the right moves, the Lakers could be playing in the finals next year. That's what's so crazy about it. If they go get the right pieces, say they go get a Buddy Hield and Brogdon, uh, get some more shooting and get some more youth, you know, uh, as, as wings. The Lakers, you know, and AD can have one of those play 70 game years healthy for the playoffs to where Lakers can re- be right back in the championship. That's why the job. That's, is so that's the, the
1: problem though. Right. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Can we count on Anthony Davis to have that year? Or have we seen the last time that's ever going to happen to Anthony Davis's career? It's forward? your
0: best bet. Pretty much. It's your best bet is to hope that it's going to happen. Cause the alternative is like, you just kind of fold your hands and say next year is going to be a wash of a season. And there's nothing left to play for. You got to at least try
1: keep having wash seasons given LeBron's yeah. age. So you just can't afford to have seasons where you're just like, nah, eh, we didn't make it that year. We didn't make it this year. We didn't do anything. Th- I think that's why Lakers fans are really feeling it this year because to not even make the playoffs, that has to be the ultimate like slap in the face, like considering at bare minimum, you were thinking, okay, maybe we'd be like fifth seed, sixth seed in the West, like even if this is a pan out, but such a fall from grace. I mean, you're behind the Clippers in the standings. Minnesota comes out of nowhere and takes a playoff spot. And a, a team that had, again, three Hall of Famers coming into the year couldn't get it done. I guess, you know, throwing Carmel into that mix as well. But we all had the questions. We all saw the age of the roster, yeah. the collective age of the roster. And I, I think this is just one of those told you so moments honestly it, it, it's just a told you so because you look at LeBron James tweet literally after everyone came down on this roster saying question our age question our play style he doesn't stay healthy he doesn't dribble or shoot etc yeah. you know and that 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 tweet i mean it's just going to follow LeBron around LeBron I,
2: I, has to stop yeah. he has to stop talking cuz remember years ago he was all, it's playoff mode now and the Lakers went on to lose like one like they won one out of like nine, yes. ten games
1: he needs that like superstitious sports fan in him that doesn't <laughs> talk trash. Because yeah. when you, the second you talk trash or wear your favorite jersey or wear your hat wrong, that, that's when you lose. He he needs to have that same mentality because yes, anytime he has those public tweets, it tends to bite him in the ass the most. Man, um, all the time. You got it. Give me your rating on winning time. I need to know now that the first winning season time. is wrapped up. Because
2: so, so, many of it, so much of it was actually false. Uh, but I, I thought it was entertaining. I'll give it an eight out of 10.
1: Eight out of 10. I think I'm at a six. The Jerry West yeah. stuff definitely did turn me off, man. Did turn me off. But that, that's a whole separate Pandora's box of conversation. Back to hey, the so plugs. Yeah. Back to the plugs, Michael. Yeah. We'll talk about it.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Spencer Haywood. He talks about this in the interview. You got to go and check that out. Uh, but, man, Michael Matthew here, Michael the PG um, on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram, M Y K E L L T H E P G. Um, I got some new shows coming. I got a show called The Raw Mind coming. Um, and yeah, I'm working on a new uh sports show, me and my guy E Lamb called the PG and uh and Lamb show. So I uh, was just grinding, man. Uh make sure you go and support my uh company that I own and run, uh the Good News Radio Company. Go and download the app so you can listen to the various talk shows, Latinx, the sports shows on the network. Um, yeah, man, just grinding uh just came back from the nfl draft not too long ago so you know continuing with all of that stuff man the grind never stops the slow buster guys are killing it
1: Half done third quarter is beginning now It's not often that a politician gives us a headline in sports, but that's exactly what happened when Mayor Eric Johnson opened his mouth. Eric Johnson tweeted out, the answer is Dallas, when responding about where the NFL should look to relocate. Why? We're about to pass the Chicago Metro and become the number three Metro in the U.S., which would make us the largest U.S. Metro without two teams. Football is king here. Dallas needs an expansion team, and we would be able to sustain two NFL teams better than L.A. and New York. So that's to take that parting shot at Los Angeles in this tweet. But the question is, does he have a point? Kyle Ledbetter, if the NFL decided to relocate, is Dallas a viable option?
0: Yes. I don't know if they're the first option, but yeah, sure. I think that they definitely could sustain two teams. I mean, it'll never happen just because the Dallas Cowboys will just, Jerry Jones has too much power within the NFL to let that happen. And at the same time, yeah, they'd totally be viable the same way that other major cities in the US would be viable. Like even Chicago could theoretically have another team. The NFL is in an interesting place because the NFL would theoretically prefer, if if we're doing this in the purest capitalistic sense, like the purest, like how can we get the most dollars possible? They'd prefer to put all their teams in like seven, eight, nine, ten cities. And the thing is, like, not every city can sustain an NFL team. And so they find these weird real estate places in like Cincinnati and Buffalo and Jacksonville. The NFL finds weird cities to put. And all sports leagues do this because when expansion happened in the 90s, they kind of had to find new cities to put them in. And like these cities were blossoming and all this different type of stuff. And the leagues wanted to grow as a whole. So yeah,
1: when the NFL was originally decided where teams went. It wasn't necessarily with the idea being, where can we make the most money? It was a lot of teams that got grandfathered in because they had money in the 1930s. They had money in the 1940s. They had money in the 1950s. And
0: were interested in building a stadium with public financing was another big part of guaranteeing an expansion team in the 70s and 80s, and which is how you get a team in like Tampa. Again, is a weird place to put an NFL team. The
1: difference is obviously now the NFL is more deliberate on where they decide to put a team or put a game like it's no coincidence that we have multiple london games now each year it's not a coincidence that we have games in mexico the nfl is thinking next there's one in
0: germany this year too
1: the nfl's thinking big picture they would love to expand the game of football to a broader audience across the world that's their all-time goal but this brings up the interesting question on when we can expect expansion, when we can expect relocation. There's a lot of cities that have been vying for NFL team for years, but it. Has just never become a reality for multitude of reasons, including leases, including agreements to stay with a city, um, whatever owners own a team at that particular moment in time. What teams are up for sale? What is that team's legacy in that city? Like, for example, technically Green Bay probably shouldn't own an NFL team. <laughs> But the fact that they've had so much sustained success in Green Bay, Wisconsin secures that the Packers will never leave the city of Green Bay.
0: <laughs> Green Bay is equivalently what I like to call the Amish of the NFL, which is they could have built a dome stadium in Milwaukee and people were so adamant it has to be Lambeau Field and it has to be the history of that, that they renovated the whole stadium at basically the cost of a new one.
1: One of my favorite memes that I have seen talking about the history of the league, talking about about the history of the game as everyone's clowning the commander's new name. Meanwhile, Green Bay, the Packers, is just sitting there for the last hundred years.
0: <laughs> I still believe, I still believe that Milwaukee and Wisconsin taxpayers in the 1990s had decided to build that dome stadium in downtown Milwaukee for the Packers. They would have won six more championships. Like you got the two greatest gunslinging quarterbacks of the last 30 years, possibly in the NFL, in Aaron Rodgers and. Brett Favre, and you chose literally the worst place ever for them to play given the the, the style of football that they want to play and hey
1: aaron Rodgers yeah. just needed to be as good as jimmy garoppolo and he might have had a ring last year
0: no block field goal block punt we're not talking about that anyways relocation and and where would expansion. you move an
1: nfl team If you could, Um, president of the world, Kyle Edbetter, which NFL city is going to get.
0: Well, hold on, hold on. If I were the NFL, what I would do? Or if I am, am someone who is just gets to pick an NFL team? I'm
1: giving you Bruce Almighty powers.
0: Well this is this is unfair to ask me because this is a perfect conversation for me. I had there? my heart ripped out, there? stolen and stabbed as a child <laughs> as a San Diego sports fan living in the 619 as a child. The most formative moment of my entire childhood was January of 2017 when the Chargers ripped my heart out, moved to Los Angeles and we threw eggs at the building in San Diego. So if you're asking about that, I'm putting a team right smack in San Diego not for my sake but for all the great people of San Diego who deserve a goddamn football team, anyway. Here's here's stop. my
1: question to you: Is it a new team, or is it the Chargers that X that's coming back with that 2 a.m. text like, "What you doing?"
0: Dean Spanos owns the team. We don't want your godforsaken team. If he sells the team to someone else, then then we'll take him back. But so we don't the want-
1: Chargers allowed back. Spanos is not gotcha.
0: I mean the Chargers are just laundry, right? You can create an expansion team and call them the Chargers and they're technically the Chargers, but just get Dean Spanos out of there.
1: Yeah, but I could see how fans still get attached to a specific name or laundry as we call it. Obviously we talked about the Cleveland Browns in that situation whenever they became the Baltimore Ravens, but we still treat the current Cleveland Browns as the old Cleveland Browns. It's all relative. It's same city, same name, I can consider it the same team.
0: Okay. So to to the point about the larger relocation because I just have a personal vendetta for san diego so
1: okay talk about the dream talk about where you would go if you're the nfl your perspective and the nfl's perspective
0: so the NFL back in 2006-ish, when the when the league was really becoming a corporation, like we've instituted a salary cap, we're doing all this stuff, et cetera, et cetera. You know, every team's getting close to being worth a billion dollars, television contracts exploding, et cetera. They said, similar to the NBA in the nineties, the best way to expand revenue is to branch out internationally, is to expand the game globally because there's all these untapped markets in different countries. And so one of the ideas that came forward was let's put a team in europe and they tried it with nfl europe like as a as a test league as a beta league they created nfl europe like a, a cfl type of league or a, a, a
1: usfl stay tuned slump busters may have someone from nfl europe history future episode yes good
0: tease It's a good tease. So they tried to create NFL Europe as a beta test. And then they're like, what if we put a team there full time? And then they realized the costs are just too much is that technology has not evolved fast enough to to move someone eight hours across the Atlantic Ocean to put a team there. We just we can't the same way that like in the 1600s, people couldn't afford to travel to America. That's basically what the NFL's version of that is. So they do that thing. They talk about the Jaguars, then they decide where can we relocate Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Those are the two places that need NFL teams. They took three teams away from our beloved and they they moved them away. So, if you're now with the NFL, you can't quite go to Europe, but you've got 4 or 5 NFL games a year. So they're building out a full NFL schedule in Europe, and you have the one game in Mexico. The next place to move is whatever the next largest city that doesn't have an NFL team is, which maybe Mexico City. Mexico City has a slightly larger population. It's a little further of a move, but Mexico City, Toronto, if you want to tap into the Canada market, you could potentially go there. I think most of the American cities are tapped out though, right? The state of New York just paid like $700 million to build the bills a new stadium. So like Buffalo's got a stadium with a lot of money. I think most of the American cities are kind of tapped out on teams, maybe like a, a San Antonio or Austin, Texas, or just put the team right in the middle like you talked about that one time with the soccer team where they they try and put the stadium halfway between Austin and San Antonio so you can get both people traveling long distances. Maybe that works, but I know Austin already has a professional team with the University of Texas who lost to Kansas this year.
1: Well, as the resident Texan, I have to plead my case that I actually agree with Mayor Eric Johnson, in respect that I do think that Texas is the next viable location for an NFL relocation or expansion. As you mentioned, I would have personal bias towards Austin, Texas. Make it easy on me. Make it easy for me. To go check out an NFL game. But San Antonio has been on the short list for a very long time. Going back to Hurricane Katrina, the Saints had legitimate thoughts of moving to San Antonio right around when that whole situation happened. Certainly the Superdome was taking the brunt of that storm after the refugee crisis that was created there. The Saints didn't have a cherished history now that they do now. Their, their history in the past was for being perennial losers, for being one of the NFL's worst run organizations. And that shifted after Drew Brees landed in New Orleans. And suddenly the Saints had a history. Again, we're talking about like the Green Bay thing. If Green Bay wasn't as successful as a team as they are now, they probably wouldn't be in Green Bay, Wisconsin anymore. That would probably have just been something that would have happened when the NFL was like, okay, We have a shitty team in Green Bay. Which major U.S. city can we move them to? That was almost the Saints situation because we talk about it now with the Pelicans. The Pelicans aren't a successful franchise. Let's just move them because New Orleans clearly can't work. New Orleans clearly can't have a basketball team. People were thinking New Orleans clearly couldn't have a football team. They thought the biggest Louisiana football team was LSU until the Saints changed that narrative. So you look at struggling teams across the NFL. Uh, We've questioned Jacksonville's long-term viability. Obviously, they don't have a track record of winning. If they ever did, I do think that Jacksonville is quickly becoming a city in a state in which a lot of people are desiring to move towards. Great weather, not the worst metropolitan area to try and navigate through. Jacksonville has some latency potential. I just think at this point they have bad ownership with the cons which has shown with a lot of the roster building, the coaching staff, the front office decision-making. I I think that the cons might be the long-term reason why they don't work in Jacksonville. Uh, The Chargers are still trying to figure it out. They have the quarterback now, but Los Angeles fans still haven't embraced them and the better the Rams become, the more the Rams take control of that city. I think it's going to be harder for the Chargers to ever really find a foothold in Los Angeles. Because even in their best years, behind the Niners, behind the Raiders, they're still the fourth or fifth best or most popular professional sports team in Los Angeles. So they have the possibility to move. And will we see an expansion? I guess that's the next phase of that. Are there enough good players to facilitate an expansion team? Are there enough good players? professional
0: I'm pro I'm pro the European soccer model of relegation that you can just relegate teams at a certain point and and then you have to stay out of the bottom three or four
1: this is a slight possibility with the NFL starting to embrace these XFL and USFL leagues they wanted the XFL to work a couple years ago because the XFL was recreated with Vince McMahon at the helm was supposed to be somewhat of a feeder league to the NFL, but COVID had different ideas, killing that iteration. This USFL, they've worked in partnership with the NFL, and the new XFL, starting under Dwayne "The Rock" Johnson in 2023, also has similar ideas. So, if there was ever opportunity to incorporate the idea of relegation or a football minor league, this is probably your window of time where the NFL is at its peak of popularity. We obviously, hell, we're talking about oh. in the off season. We're talking about things oh, that yeah. are more hypothetical. We're not even talking about the games and i think that that's only a good thing for the nfl the schedule drops tomorrow and it's going to be the biggest news thing of the day (laughs) i I will say
0: it's um i want relegation to happen relegation is never ever going to happen because the owners have created a system where you can be terrible and still get gigantic profits it's why it
1: can uh, change if the dollar amount is there and if of course we do have more calls from the public or the viewers or the spectators yes if people start talking with their their money like they're viewing money obviously we're seeing boycotts for the Oakland A's and how terrible their team we're seeing boycotts in Cincinnati for the Reds if we saw a team that was truly that terrible luckily for the NFL also is just the style of play for those athletes makes it harder for the athletes themselves to tank front offices have to be very deliberate in their moves that they really want to lose games and Mm -hmm. it's even and your best years your best years of being awful are still hard to be truly awful in the NFL because uh, we have a situation like Miami a couple years ago right where they're purposely trying to lose games or perceived as trying to lose games trading Minka Fitzpatrick and you have players veterans like a Ryan. Fitzpatrick, who's, you know, I got to save my career. I got to do what I got to do to get wins in the NFL. So they make it harder for you to do your job in that respect. Uh, the, N- the NBA is obviously a lot easier to do this because mm-hmm. it's just like, well, I'll put my best player out on the court for 20 minutes a game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the Jaguars are, are the best team in terms of relocation before expansion, because yeah. I think the Jaguars are waiting for those, those travel costs to go down to Europe as soon as we improve the technology, they might move.
1: I should throw in here why Again, I think Texas is a logical move is you look at the other pro leagues, you look at the MLB, you look at the NBA, obviously the NBA has three NBA teams in Texas got the little Texas triangle going on between Houston, Dallas and San Antonio, Uh, the MLB has also floated the idea of finding a third mlb team to kind of had that little texas triangle and the nfl if they're legitimately having that thought san antonio would make a lot of sense because it's not just austin that's rapidly expanding san antonio according to the wall street journal was the top place to move in terms of lifestyle cost of living Mm -hmm. all these number of factors i've been to san antonio a couple times it's fine there's a lot of open area so certainly if you're talking about building an nfl stadium You do have the infrastructure in place to be able to do it. You do have a lot of cattle ranches that if you buy out those landowners, I don't think they're going to really complain. And obviously they do love their football. So the question that a lot of people are pushing back on, it's Cowboys country, right? So anything you do, any franchise (laughs) you start there, you're trying to convert Cowboys fans. I don't think you're really trying to do that. And it's really going to come down to the success or failures of the team. Because I, I think over the last 10 years... I have seen Texans fans become relevant because the Texans had a run where they were actually good. They had good players. They were making it in the playoffs. So we started to see that fan base develop. We started to see some JJ watt jerseys. We started to see some, um, Andre Johnson jerseys, Arian Foster's. So we're starting to see those fans develop into adulthood. And they're going to, of course, raise their kids into being Houston Texans fans. Like turning over a market overnight doesn't happen. But if you put the product there, if you make it accessible to people, 20 minute drive rather than a five hour drive to Dallas, then people are just going to show up. People show up to the XFL games. People show up to the arena football league games. People love football. It's the US. People love football. And I, I agree with the idea that the mayor threw out there football's king in the u.s football's king in texas and if you tell me like you with shitty nba games or shitty mlb games on a wednesday (laughs) if it's cheap if it's affordable if it's in my backyard i'll show up what else am i doing on a sunday
0: yeah, it's a great point there. And, and in terms of your, your buddies over there in Austin and San Antonio getting a team, watch what happens with the Chargers and the Raiders in terms of economic viability, because this is a great experiment of can you sustain an NFL team with no fan base? Which it intuitively is like, well, no, you can't possibly do that, right? But then you start thinking of Los Angeles and Las Vegas are major touristy destinations. And you can say Miami is too, but you're not going to Miami for oh, football. Yes,
1: I've said this with Las Vegas when they first got the team. How many people are just going to be there on bachelor party weekends and just say, screw it, let's go to a Raiders game?
0: And if you're a fan, well, first of all, Los Angeles is, is transplants from everywhere. So like people were like, why are there so many Eagles fans at the charge? game. It's like, because there are people from Philadelphia and Los Angeles and people from Minnesota and Los Angeles and people from Jacksonville and Los Angeles and people from Texas and Los Angeles. So that one explains itself. Austin and, and San Antonio area is an interesting place because it's growing economically and a bunch of people are moving there. It's, I mean, you live there. You've seen how rent has changed and population totals have changed in Austin just since the Ooh, pandemic started. Why
1: have
0: I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: uh, stop it. <laughs> I love you guys that are moving here, but slow it down just a beat. Just just a beat. 40% rent increase over the last two years. Pump the brakes a little.
0: So like this is an example of the fans, the people moving there might not give a shit about football and still you can build a profitable football team because people want to move to Austin, Texas and people want to be around whatever's going on there.
1: And if you have a solidifying moment, like winning a championship, like a playoff run, Hell, even a star player, you just draft one stud star player that people are like, I got to see this guy play. They buy his jersey. Then suddenly, oh, why do you have a, let's call them the Rangers or something, right? They just named themselves the Texas Rangers. We <laughs> How about the Austin
0: Jaguars? Call them the Austin Jaguars.
1: <laughs> we almost had the Austin Bills. I, I think I would have got behind seeing Josh Allen on Sundays if that would have happened.
0: You if could it, still, you could get Joe Burrow from Cincinnati. Cincinnati might build a stadium now because they have a good team. You could go steal Joe Burrow from
1: Cincinnati. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't mind that. You know, I'm a Joey B guy. I, I would embrace Joey B in Austin. Who knows expansion team that might be the best way for Baker to get a job so the Westlake graduate ends up back in Austin. Sure. Just try and find that man a job at this point. I, I did like a couple other your teams that I, I just want to circle back to the international cities you mentioned. Yes, obviously, we've learned that Europe, we probably just don't have the technology to make it work. And I kind of obviously hate the idea of you're just taking some random kid at age 22 who graduated from the University of Southern Alabama. And you're saying, by the way, you're deported to London. Yeah, I I I mean, we do it with Canada, which is... Yeah, but I think that's a hard lifestyle shift, going across the ocean, being segregated from your family for that amount of time. Uh, We talked about the struggles of these guys who get drafted within the U.S. I could only imagine having to go across an ocean and not being able to necessarily be with my family or have to work on work visas and... All I think that's why Mexico City stuff.
0: also probably isn't going to work because of language barrier, because like at least with at least with England, you have not a language barrier there. I think the language barrier is probably going to be a deterrent in, in moving to Mexico.
1: I, I could see that, although you look at the English speaking rates are going up around the world and that would include a major tourist destination like Mexico City and there are some passionate fans the NFL is smart in saying that there is a passionate fan base for American football in Mexico City I know that the Raiders got on their high horse thinking that we're we're Mexico's team because obviously the large Latino base for the Raiders but um, clearly the Patriots disagreed when they kicked them around the stadium a couple years back Uh, And obviously the infrastructure needs to improve because we had that game that was canceled between the Rams and Chiefs a few years more back. So Mexico still has some things that they have to overcome. And obviously, there's anytime you talk about working with Mexico, you also have to work with the Mexican government, which the Mexican government has their shortcomings that they have to work on as well. They're maybe. also
0: not happy with us right now. They're not They're happy also...
1: with us. We we got that, but at the same time, if we're giving you guys jobs in your own country and a big Multi-million dollar stadium, multi-billion dollar stadium. You kind of have to be a little bit happy about that one. Uh, Whether you're happy with the U.S. or you're happy with the NFL, that's tit for tat. But still, it it would be a great economic boom for the country if they managed to get themselves an NFL team. Toronto makes a lot of sense. And back when the Bills were awful, before Josh Allen, before the Josh allen Tyrod Taylor era begun, I thought that that was a likely move, especially because the Bills were experimenting with playing games in Toronto. I thought that was them kind of dipping their toes in the water for an eventual move to Toronto, which would be the third largest metropolitan area if it was in the US. Yeah, behind Los Angeles and New York. And that's what we're talking about with Dallas, obviously. The Dallas mayor, again, is saying, we're the third largest Metro and we're the only one of those Metros that doesn't have two teams. Problem is your team... The one team you have is so much better than the Jets or Giants, so much better than the Rams and Chargers. They're as big as three NFL teams, even if we don't agree on the success.
0: Yeah, the NFL just went through a triple relocation. So I'm not exactly sure if they're like eager to move. Like every team that they were fighting for a new stadium with, they moved. Or in the case of Buffalo, got a new stadium. So this might be a decade down the road. It's so
1: wild to look up NFL history and how easy moves used to be. Just, oh, we're just packing things up and leaving in the middle of Mm. the night.
0: If you're interested in a documentary on that, ESPN did a 30 for 30 called Al Davis versus the NFL. And literally, so Al Davis took the NFL to court over preventing him from relocating and he won that court case in 1983 and they show from like 1983 to 1988 there was like seven relocations in the nfl because they're like wait the nfl has no restrictions over us moving oh we're gonna go to no
1: arizona what the um clippers owner did and just say, okay, I guess we're moving to Los Angeles and just kind of like strong arming everyone strong arming a whole league into, okay, we're no longer the San Diego Clippers anymore.
0: Well, the NFL, the the NFL closed that loophole by adding relocation fees a couple of years later. So like if you want to move your team, you just have to pay instead of like legally trying to stop people from doing it. So it's not the same as it used to be. But yeah, that's why you have like the Colts leaving Baltimore in the middle of the night or the Cardinals leaving St. Louis in the middle of 1984 and all that stuff. Like it all happened I'll, right after I'll give
1: after a little that. bit of hope to some cities that we didn't mention, but a lot of people always throw out there. Portland, Oregon, is also a fast growing metro that has been casually thrown bandied about as a NFL relocation because obviously some passionate sports fans in the northwest part of the country, but it's a often ignored part of the country. Portland is, has started to become somewhat of a destination city for a lot of people to travel to.
0: <laughs> They're gonna go to Salt Lake City. I mean that's exactly where the NFL wants to go, is Salt the middle Lake of Utah. City? No, they, they won't do it, but it's it's funny to think about.
1: <laughs> I could see a Salt Lake City because Salt Lake. City was one of those cities that was was selected for the AAF a few years back. So they were mm-hmm. trying to test out the football market. I kind of wonder if again that's going to be something that the NFL pursues in using these XFL and USFL teams to see how popular football is in respective markets of places they don't currently have an NFL team. Because we've seen Birmingham consistently get a team whenever these new spring leagues come about. Does that mean that Birmingham is a place that the NFL is curious about? I know that they often get overshadowed by the fact that they are in the middle of SEC country, they're in the middle of college football country, but I don't think that stuff matters as much anymore. Yeah, especially
0: because college football is national now and the NFL is national where it used to be you could only watch games on your local broadcast. So the NFL didn't even try to move to those areas. But it's different now. But also, I think the NFL kind of knows the viability of their markets at this point. and, And they're also learning like television contracts are so huge that the local revenue of games is worth less than it used to be. It's how baseball stadiums could be like a fourth full this year and they're still making record profits. So I think that matters less than it used to be. I, I'm still going to cape up for San Diego.
1: For these cities that don't have a team, I think it's just a point of pride sometimes to have mm-hmm. a team because it's yeah. like something entertaining to do. I, I think just giving people options, coming from a, being born and raised in New Mexico where going to a professional sports game was so much of a inconvenience because it would require driving to another state flying to another state to do having a team in your city oh adds yeah. a certain gravitas to your city even if it's kind of like a superficial thing is wow so we're going to blackwater wisconsin home of the <laughs> blackwater jaguars
0: Yeah, I I agree with you on this point. I think that NFL teams in cities are incredibly cool things, especially in cities that don't have nice shit. Like I'm here in Sacramento. Sacramento is a nice city. It's also it's a downtown that's like a copy and paste of a lot of other downtowns in, in major American cities. Having the Kings is really, really cool in Sacramento. The problem is now that sports leagues have gotten to be so gigantic that local city governments simply can't afford to continue buying publicly funded stadiums for teams. So like, I really want a football team in San Diego because I know it matters a lot to like people I grew up with and especially like people my dad's age. Like it it means a lot. The Chargers meant something really important to the city. And also if you have to pay a billion dollars of taxpayer money to build a stadium, yeah, it's not worth that much. It shouldn't be worth that to anyone, no matter how much you love a sport.
1: I guess this is a complex argument of how we should decide to use our tax dollars I I think tax dollars should always be used to serve the public. And if the public believes entertainment is a top level priority for them, which in some cities, I would say that that should be a top level priority. In Albuquerque, I have joked that if I ever get into politics, if I ever run for mayor in Albuquerque, I will run on the basis of trying to be the fun mayor. I will go into town with the idea, okay, let's revitalize our bar districts. Let's add more restaurants. Let's try and bring in entertainment stuff, whether that's bands, concerts uh movies sports leagues whatever can kind of start adding more national attention to our city which can revitalize the community not make it feel as old and dreary and dying make it feel vibrant and fun i i think it depends what you value as a society yes we, we cannot say well shouldn't tax dollars be going to i don't know name a disease name an illness of society. Well, just, they, people say, Ill-
0: you know, save the, the teachers, is, pay the whales. Maybe all that the stuff. illness
1: is boredom. Top button. Yeah, I mean. Look at, look at it, COVID. During the COVID pandemic, how many people's mental health went to shit because they couldn't do stuff or go outside or enjoy these activities, these leisure activities. Sometimes giving people leisure activities, I, I think it's good for the public minutia.
0: Yes and no. So like the money has to come from somewhere in these situations. And I just want to point out the fact that like income inequality is at its highest levels it's ever been before. There are more people living closer to the poverty line than ever before in a lot of these situations. And And I think
1: people get that, but it's also while we're dealing with these things, these multi-layer things that we can't just write a executive order to fix, distract me with three hours of a football game.
0: It's the same thing you said at the beginning, like this, this will ultimately devolve into a conversation about where do tax dollars go? And ultimately, that's like a lot of what arguments in politics are in America is like, how much should people be taxed? And what should we spend that money on is ultimately a lot of conflicts in America right now. And so one of the interesting parts about this is like, specifically the three major sports leagues, when we're talking about like baseball, football, and basketball, those sports leagues have evolved to such a place because of international dollars and because of television contracts and all of this stuff that they've priced out most of the markets that they play in, in terms of like spending money on public financing the way they used to in the seventies and eighties is like, well, back in the seventies, you used to pay 35 to 40% of our stadium, or you used to pay 60% of our stadium in like the, the, the classic case of the, the Miami stadium in 2010. It's like, you can't do that now. Cause like that's basically Buffalo. Was spending eight hundred and fifty million dollars on a one point four billion dollar football stadium for the Buffalo Bills, like the state of New York taxpayers just paid six hundred million dollars for that stadium, and you could argue that it's it's going to be good for the state of New York. At the same time, I, I don't know how many people in in New York City are going over to Buffalo to watch a football game, and this is all a, a really interesting minutia of like you've been priced out of the three major sports, maybe a hockey team. Let's start. Start with a hockey team for Albuquerque.
1: Maybe if the Phoenix Coyotes eventually decide to move, I know that that's been one of those things that's been talked about for years. I've heard the Sacramento Kings talked about as a potential Albuquerque moving team, even after the success in the mid-2000s. Yeah, but they... give me give me your top three cities. That's how we'll close out the segment.
0: Top three cities for Rapid an NFL fired. team. San Diego, Austin, Texas, and who? I will go... Man, this is a tough one. I don't really have a, I don't have a last one like in the arsenal right now. Let's go North Dakota or <laughs> throw one in North Dakota. I'm
1: going to put one in East Dakota.
0: <laughs> is that, uh, is that the Vikings? The Vikings East Dakota?
1: East Dakota, probably a university in, of East Dakota that probably had someone go before Texas Longhorn in the NFL draft.
0: Three different Dakotas did have a player drafted before the Longhorns.
1: Mine, Austin, Texas is going to be the number one. I would love to have an NFL team in my backyard, but even if I can't get it directly in my backyard I would drive the hour to go to games in San Antonio so one two both in the great state of Texas and my third is going to be actually a surprise I'm going to go with our neighbors in the great white north I am going to say Toronto I think Toronto will be a fun NFL city
0: I thought of a third one that I forgot now that I've had time to think Orlando Florida Orlando Florida would be fun they they have a really fun team with UCF they've already got the stadium built Orlando Florida would be fun and
1: now starts the final quarter buckle
0: up buckle up this is The Slum Buster Podcast. Joining us here today, Mo Murphy from the Off the Ball Network and a Miami Heat fan. We've got an Eastern Conference Final for the second time in three years between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. We could go all the way back to four times in 10 years or four times in 11 years between these two teams. It's been two of the the premier basketball franchises in the Eastern Conference going back. Well, I guess you could say to my lifetime, but still the the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat are back again. Similar cores to the teams we saw in the bubble back in 2020. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. So Mo, I will defer to you first. The Heat made relatively light work of the Philadelphia 76ers in the second round. Obviously, Joel Embiid was playing through a concussion and missed games one and two, and they had no chance of winning that series. So how are you feeling coming out of the second round here
3: against the Sixers? Well, of course I have to feel nervous. Like my team that made the Easter Conference Finals, and we're playing a team that I think matches up not only really well, but has the potential to outmatch the Miami heat, uh, in the Boston Celtics, because I'm a big believer that stars win championships. I'm a big believer that stars kind of make the impact on these series. And I look at it and I'm looking at Jason Tatum. Like that's the guy that when I look at this series, he probably, I would expect for him to be the best player in this series. So when I'm looking at Miami, I need Jimmy Butler to keep it up. But as you seen, like When he had a superstar performance that had 40 and he scored 33, those resulted in losses against the Philadelphia 76ers. So it's kind of a confusing spot that the Miami Heat are in as far as what we need from Jimmy Butler essentially to win this series. So it's like we want Jimmy Butler to show us that superstar power that he potentially has and score 40 or score 35. But I'm looking at he needs to average about 25 to 27 uh, to kind of get us in there. And I think we, we need to worry about our depth. I think that's where this series comes down to because these are two of the deepest teams, not only left in the NBA, but just two of the deepest teams in the NBA period. When you talk about impact, and we saw that with Grant Williams uh, in game seven against Milwaukee, that you never know who's going to step up outside the stars. And so when I'm looking at this Miami Boston series, I guess, as opposed to looking at Jimmy or Bam out of bio or the return of Kyle Lowry, I'm looking at Max Struce, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. So those are kind of the guys I'm looking at in this series that are going to play the key to victory for us to ultimately win this series and continue on and have a chance at winning an NBA championship.
0: Juju, how are you feeling after Game 7's amazing victory for the Boston Celtics and the uh, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Marcus Smart, Al Horford? Group of guys that, that gives Boston the same feel that Miami has of a deep team.
1: Not bad for the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference, huh, Kyle? I said seventh originally. I I backpedaled
2: Mm -hmm. from seventh Mm -hmm. to
1: fifth.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: You are
1: correct. (laughs) You know, I got to bring that today. You've been ragging me all season. And here we are, Eastern Conference. But, you know, we've had this conversation in the past. This is nothing new for this group of guys. They've been to the Eastern Conference. I want to see them do something they haven't done before, make it to the NBA Finals. It's time for Jalen. It's time for Jason. It's time for Al Horford and time for Marcus Smart to finally take that leap together and huge offseason addition, getting Al Horford back in the mix, what he was able to do in that game four victory against Giannis. Obviously, a lot of people remember the dunk and the meme mugging that was going on there. Al was a critical part of this team. And you talked about the role players. The role players were amazing in game seven to have Grant Williams knocking down seven three-pointers, looking like a game six Klay Thompson out there was a remarkable sight to see especially because he started 0 for 4 from the 3 point line uh, to start the game and Also, too, Jason, even though it wasn't like a dominant performance, it wasn't anything close to the game six that he had. Uh, He was five for five at one point from the three point line himself. So I don't expect the Celtics to knock down 21 of 55 three point attempts. And in fact, I don't really want them shooting that many three point attempts, but they just kind of like went with what the Bucs gave them. They went with what the defense suggested they should do. I mean, if you're just going to give guys open threes, as long as those guys aren't Derek White or Daniel Thice, I'm okay with Grant Williams taking that shot. I'm okay with Jalen Brown taking that shot. I'm okay with Jason or Al Horford taking that shot. And that's what the Bucks did. Looking at Miami, I will say it, Mo, you, you mentioned some of the role players. That's going to be a difference maker for me because- I think Miami has a way better bench than the Milwaukee Bucks did because Grayson Allen at one point was unplayable for the Bucks. Bobby Portis didn't give them quite the impact that they were hoping for aside from that offensive rebound in game five. And I think that this is a great matchup for NBA fans entirely. Obviously you mentioned the history of these teams going at it a couple of years ago, playoff, Jimmy Butler always makes me a little uneasy, but um, as long as the bench of the Celtics, because they got that short rotation shows up to play, I think that they are the favorites going into the series.
0: So Max Struess has been kind of filling the Duncan Robinson role for the Miami Heat. They moved Gabe Vincent into the starting lineup during the playoffs here. How do you feel about how Spo? and this is over to you, Mo. how do you feel about how Spoelster's managed the rotation for the Miami Heat going into the playoffs this year?
3: Well, with not being an NBA head coach, I have to trust one of the greatest head coaches of all time. Essentially, he's been voted, you know, one of the top 15 coaches of all time, which is an honor when you think about, All the coaches have come through the coaching carousel of the NBA uh, throughout the NBA history. But you question it at first because we paid Duncan Robinson so much money, right? But when you look at Duncan Robinson has turned himself into a guy. We paid him what it costs to get a catch-and-shoot guy, a guy who could get hot at any night and determine the outcome of an NBA game, especially in the regular season. But Max Struess has been essentially the same guy who plays a little bit of defense in for a lot cheaper price, but you're not looking at the price tag when you're in the NBA playoffs, but you look at Dungar Robinson, it's like, if he's not hitting three-point shots, he's essentially useless out there on the court because he's not a defender. Um, he doesn't really give you any other aspect. He's not a ball handler. So it's like if Duncan Robinson isn't hitting jump shots, he's useless on the court and Max Struess has found a way to find himself to be useful whether he's hitting jump shots or he's playing defense and that's kind of the thing about the Miami Heat is that that's a team they've always been especially the post LeBron era post Dwayne Wade era. essentially they're guys who they find these undrafted free agents or these unsought after free agents that nobody wants or these guys who were injured and we bring them back because we find a way to plug them into the you know like the Victor Oladipos and then we get the Gabe Vince since the Max Struces and so I'm looking at Miami and I'm, it's like I love what Max Struess has done and we're picking up his player option he's gonna cost us 1.5 million next year for what he's done for the Miami Heat this year 1.5 million to get that same production if not hopefully elevate from next year 1.5 million is his is a bargain. The only thing I look at Miami is like, regardless of the outcome of the Easter conference finals, they may have some questions and some decisions to make as far as Duncan Robinson with as much as they paid him, Like they essentially could. And, and you know, I, I've talked about this at length. They could have to trade Duncan Robinson for essentially nothing. Because of his price tag and because of the production they got from him, they might have to move on from him because they could look and be like, this is a bad contract, but you're not going to get a lot from Doug Robinson. So I think regardless of the outcome of this series, Miami is going to go into the off season and be like, we might have to give up Doug Robinson, but it might cost us either bad contracts that we could shed off or just draft picks and we give up Doug Robinson for essentially nothing to shed off that bad contract that a lot of fans think that we signed with Doug Robinson.
0: Send Duncan to Sacramento. I want Duncan to, to just come play for the Kings, just play 30 meaningless minutes every At night. This that, that's... point,
3: send them to Sacramento. They could give us their two second-round picks for the next <laughs> two years, and it'd be one of those, like, that's all it's going to cost to get Duncan Robinson because it's like he showed that if he's not hitting jump shots, he doesn't have a lot of value for a team who's playing for a championship. So you know you're not going to get a lot for him, but you also, in return, you have Max Struess that you're going to pay $1.5 million, So I would be okay with that.
0: Juju, I'm throwing it over to you with the number one defense in the NBA since January 1st. Uh, they, they did a pretty good job of containing Giannis and just letting the Bucks shoot for a good portion of the series. And I know that's like hindsight 2020 because the Bucs were like four for 30 from the three-point line in the last game of that series. So how do you feel the defensive matchup is going to work for, for the Boston Celtics in this series? Who's guarding Jimmy? Do they switch on Bam out of bio because Bam hasn't been super aggressive shooting in the first couple games of the series what do they do with pj tucker just sitting out there and shooting corner threes what's the game plan for boston
3: i I think
1: that they just need to play their style of basketball and i i know that's a kind of lame answer but it's true they they do such a great job of switching on guys regardless of matchup because even a guy like a small guard like Derek white or marcus smart is still able to match up on a guy like Giannis, on a guy like kevin durant they don't get as focused up on the size mismatches Hell, you, you see some of the smaller guys like Peyton Pritchard going on Brook Lopez, which is not necessarily something you want in a series, but that's the type of defense that the Celtics have been able to play. They don't care about assignment. They're going to give you the same level of effort on every play. The things that kind of concern me, um, and I, I just saw this in Celtics post game, Marcus Smart, uh, he left that game in a walking boot. So that's something to kind of monitor heading into this Tuesday night game. And losing the defensive player of the year, that's going to critically impact your defense. And that's not to say we still don't know the status of Robert Williams, who didn't play the last uh, three, four games of the Milwaukee series. He didn't look great in the Milwaukee series. Obviously, he missed a month with that knee. Whenever Rob was in there jumping around high energy, uh, blocking shots, that's what really helped the Celtics take off around January. Rob's development. And then he missed a month, and he wasn't quite the same player coming into that Milwaukee series. So I am intrigued to see if he's healthy, and if he's healthy, is he going to be the old Rob Williams, the one that we saw in January, February, and March? And is Marcus healthy? Because if Marcus isn't there, then that that kind of hurts you on the perimeter. Marcus is obviously, arguably, the best, and the NBA voters said so—the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Drew Holiday might have some exception with that, but. Either way, hey, Eastern Conference Finals, we, we got the win there. Uh, as far as those matchups, I, I remember the 2020 bubble season. I think a rookie, Tyler Hero, that was his rookie season, right, Mo? I'm not going crazy. That was Tyler Hero's rookie season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. him going crazy in that series was a big part of the story. Uh, Jimmy averaged 27 against uh, Philadelphia. Unlike the previous two series, they don't have one player that they want to exclusively focus their efforts on uh, against the Nets. It was easy. Okay, we want to shut down Kevin Durant. We want to make Kevin Durant's life extremely hard. Against the Bucks. you know who you need to stop. It's that guy who was averaging 40 points in a four-game stretch against you that put up this just insane statistics. I mean, even in a seven-game series loss, I got to give that guy some love. Giannis was insane. Like, we, we held him, but held kind of being a loose definition. Against them, he you just have so many different variables, so many guys that can hurt you Again, like the fact that they're, I believe the number one three-point shooting team in the league uh, tells you that they could burn you from the perimeter. So again, Marcus Smart being hurt, if he is hurt, that, that scares me going into this one.
0: Well, you mentioned Tyler Hero, so I'll swing that over to Mo as the next point here. Hero's shooting 23% from the three-point line in the playoffs so far. That number got sent way down because I think he shot like 20% from the three-point line against the Philadelphia 76ers. Obviously, Miami was able to overcompensate for that with the Jimmy Butler performances and Philadelphia's lack of offensive production. And Bam Adebayo has only taken like nine shots per game during the, the Philadelphia series, so offensively Miami's not at their best right now it's not like it's like code red like they're struggling but at the same time how do you feel about going up against the Boston defense
3: this is such an evenly matched series when you look at both teams in the if I was to talk about Boston's keys to victory I would essentially turn it around and say the same thing for Miami right you're looking at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you're looking at Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and probably Tyler Hero. So then you turn around and you're looking at Robert Williams. Like these two teams are so like, if you put them across from each other, they're so identical. The only thing that separates them is age. Jason Tatum is in his twenties. Jimmy Butler's in his thirties. Jalen Brown is in his twenties. Bam Adebayo is also in his twenties. But then you look at like Kyle Lowry's in his thirties, who he's supposed to come back. But Marcus Smart is in his twenties. Like These are such identical teams that this makes this matchup to look forward to so tough because it's going to come down to the Grant Williams game. It's going to come down to the Tyler Hero game. It's going to come down to can Omer Yurtsavin give us some quality minutes late in the game when, he, when he's when he got to step in for Bam Adebayo. And it's like, it's crazy to sound, but with being so evenly matched, like it's going to be when Emei Yudoka, goes in his bag and really test how deep his team is. And Eric Spolster goes in his bag and he tests how deep his team is. That's what this series is going to come down to. And I think when teams are evenly matched, these games are won late in the first, leading into the second quarter and late in the third leading into the fourth quarter because that's when your bench comes in and that's where games can get separated is three to four minutes left in the first quarter leading into what three to four minutes into the second quarter and vice versa with the third quarter three to four minutes left in the third quarter leading into three to four minutes those last eight minutes are won by your superstars but if your bench can do a good enough job in that eight minute stretch heading from into first into the second into third into the fourth i think this is where in those coaching adjustments, I think this is where that game could be won. But I am looking at Tyler Hero. He ain't got to shoot 50% from the three-point line, but you got to do better than 23%. Like you're supposed to be a shooter. You're supposed to be the guy that could create his own shot. We've seen it uh, at times. We saw it against Boston two years ago in the bubble. Like we saw how great of a series that was, but we saw that with what Tyler Hero can do. So we kind of need not necessarily consistent play like that from Tyler Hero, but we do need the flashes of like in the bubble and throughout the regular season with dealing with all the injuries that we've dealt with Tyler Hero's consistent play. We do need that in that series because that's what it's going to come down to. It's not your number one or your number two. It's going to come down for both teams from three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's how deep these teams are. You're going to be looking at three through eight on one side and three through eight on the other side. Whoever outperforms each other is going to win that game night in and night out. And so it's going to come through options three through eight from every series. I think that's who comes down to end up winning this series.
0: Juju talk about number one for the Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum, because game six, if if Boston goes on a deep run this year, game six against the Bucks is going to be one of those games that we look back on as like a turning point of his career. So how do you feel about the performances of Jason Tatum? He was very quiet in game seven, but he didn't need to be loud when Grant Williams was taking 17 three-pointers.
1: I think that Jason's Main development this season isn't so much as a superstar, but as a playmaker, his ability to get the ball in the hands of his teammates. If he recognized that Grant was going off, okay, I'm going to swing the ball out to Grant for that corner three. If it's a Jalen night, I'm going to make it a Jalen night. But if I need to be the guy, I'm going to be the guy. And that's what he did in game six because he knew he had to basically match Giannis step for step. And I do appreciate that he has that in his bag, but I appreciate more. that he recognizes that he doesn't have to do that every single game that he does have teammates that can pick him up. And that's going to be one of the big stories of this series who are going to be the role players that step up throughout. And if need be Jason, can he give you that 20 point game? Can he give you that 30 point game and hell, can he give you that 40 point game? Because we obviously remember he had a miserable and I mean, miserable game three, just a series ago. Like we were talking about him. Is he going to be one of those guys that's, Always the bridesmaid, never the bride when it comes to the postseason. We recognize how good he is. We recognize how great he is, that next step, that two-way player. But at the same time, he can have a 9-point, 10-point dud like he did in game three. And that game just reminds you, kind of like brings you back down to earth that he is still a young player and he still has a ways to go. He's not just going to be unstoppable unguardable every single night. And I think the Miami Heat matchup is going to give him tough shots, going to give him some tough looks. I I think that where it's going to be a difference is, again, can he get the ball in the right places? Recognize if Al's having a good night, like a versatile big, like Al, I think is going to be important in this series. What kind of strategy will Emei use? Will he go small? Will he go big? Going small was the turning point in this Milwaukee series. When he started unveiling the lineup that featured Derek White and Marcus Smart, the three guard lineup, that was probably one of the biggest uh, keys to victory in that Milwaukee series. So I I am intrigued to see how that match plays, but if he's at least giving you a 20 to 30 points a night, uh, you're going to be fine with Jason. You're going to be happy with Jason, but I'd also like to see those assist anywhere between five and 10.
0: All right, Mo, I will defer to you first and foremost. Do you have any predictions, thoughts of how the series is going to go down?
3: How are you feeling? So now you put it in the bias cap. So I'm going to put my bias cap on and I'm going to say the heat in seven. I have to, and I I expect Juju to say the same, you know, whether it's six or seven, I expect Juju to essentially say the same about his team. I'm going to say the heat in seven. I think this is a hard fought battle. I think this takes you back to the early two thousands. As far as the style of basketball that's played. I think there's a two games where neither team scores 100 points. I mean, these are two of the best, literally the best defensive team that we've seen for what, five months at this point in the Boston Celtics and in the playoffs, arguably the two best defensive teams that we've seen in the playoffs. So I'm going to say the Heat and seven. I literally think this takes us back to like the early to mid 2000s, the 90s style of play, where everything comes down to defense, but it's modern day because we're not going to see those 70-point, you know, playoff games are 79 to 74, but it'll more be 99 to 94. I think this is going to be a great series. I think everybody's going to turn, regardless to who the winner is, I'm picking the Heat of course i'm gonna rock with my team but i think everybody's gonna turn away from this series and be like this is what great basketball looks like and and from both sides like i expect boston to play amazing i expect miami to play amazing on both sides of the floor so i'm gonna take, like i said i'm gonna take the heat in seven but i literally think the casual fan will fall back in love with basketball because these two teams are literally the epitome of what guys our age have fell in love with while watching basketball growing up in the first place. Yeah, I'm going to take the heat in seven, but this is going to be such a hard fall. I could almost see this being an instant classic series as a whole with a couple true instant classic games that we're having to rewatch the next day because that's how close, how tight it is, and that's how much I respect that Boston could have Miami's number. Juju?
1: Well, this is the type of series that changes or makes narratives. If the Celtics win and Jason Tatum could get to his first NBA Finals, then that lays the groundwork for him to be a top five player for the next 10 years. If the Heat Mm -hmm. advance, then this justifies their 2020 Finals appearance. This makes that 2020 Finals appearance look less like a bubble aberration and a legitimizing of their efforts in 2020 and including their efforts in 2022. This is going to be a hard-fought series. And one thing uh, gushing about my team a little bit here. I respect that they feared no team, they feared no superstar, and they feared no deer because they did not back down towards the end of the season like the Milwaukee Bucks to try and get themselves a cushier matchup. They said, okay, Brooklyn, fine, bring it, four-game sweep, get out of here. Then they welcomed in the 2021 champion Milwaukee Bucks and said, this is going to be a hard-fought series. But other than one game, I don't think Milwaukee really had a great win in that series. They basically could have knocked them out at any point. You could have told me the Celtics could have won in six. You could have told me the Celtics could have won in five. Just a couple of mishaps at the free throw line were the reasons that it turned into a seven-game series. Now looking against the Miami Heat, and this is an opportunity for revenge uh, for the Celtics. And revenge just tastes so good because you look at 2021, get eliminated by the Nets. You look at 2019, get eliminated by the Bucs. Who eliminated the Celtics in 2020? The Miami Heat. So, this is an opportunity for redemption for the Celtics. First year head coach, Anemia Adoka. a lot of turnover in the front office. Brad Stevens taking the reins as GM. As far as prediction, long story short, TLDR, I'm going to say Celtics in seven. Mo, you called it. You caught me. I, I got to go with my team, but I'm going to hedge on the fact that playoff Jimmy scares me. Playoff Jimmy does. I know I'm going to see a lot of those highlights of Bam's block on Jason a couple of years ago as well. I I respect the Heat team. They didn't get the number one seed by accident. They're a well-coached, fundamental team, and this is going to be the closest matchup I think the Celtics will have had in the NBA playoffs.
0: Well, all right, then we've got heat, we've got Celtics, and I guess we'll have to enjoy the series because I'm not going to make a prediction for this one. Oh, anyway, no, no, you so. cop out.
3: <laughs> nope. You, you, you got to do it. Us. We're, we're mixed right Kyle, now. So, uh, let's got go Kyle.
0: Got Let me see. Where's a Where's a coin here? If, it, if it's Kyle. if it's heads, I'll go heat. If it's tails, I'll go Celtics. Tails. I got tails. What I say is that Celtics? Yep. that's. Celtics, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go Celtics and seven then. No, about no, 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 Kyle, that's Kyle, stay, close...
1: stay picking the Heat, stay picking the Heat. Okay, so I'm so here's Celtics all postseason. Let, let's keep that narrative. <laughs> yes, but I've
0: already acknowledged that I was wrong about the Celtics. I've doubled down on Giannis and the Bucks, They still whoa, whoa, think. Whoa.
1: Changing your pick though, right? You can only be wrong twice.
0: Oh, but I was just wrong about the Celtics all season. I said that originally they were the seventh best team in the East. And then I said they were either four or five. And if you wanted to argue between them and the heat, I was willing to hear them out. And then they beat Brooklyn and they beat the Bucks without Chris Middleton, but they handled the series really well. Like this series is so evenly matched, especially because of the Celtics offense being better than the middle of the road team that they were for most of the season. The fact that Tatum and Brown are able to generate shots on their own and because of that the respect that that you know jason tatum being able to shoot from anywhere creates shots for horford and pritchard and grant williams and guys who are just sitting in the corner the same way the heat do it with pj tucker and Struess and gabe vincent and all those guys like it's a really efficient offense that boston's starting to run the problem is like eventually those guys aren't going to be able to shoot as well in every single game now they got big grant williams production but they'll have a four for 20 game as a team at some point coming up in that series so in that way like they're so evenly matched and like you said the teams are constructed very similarly where you have a guy who can give you offense like uh, Jason Tatum and like Jimmy Butler, where they can go get you a basket to kill a run and slow things down for the other team. While Bam Adebayo against Al Horford is an interesting matchup because you'd think Bam Adebayo could impose his will upon Al Horford. And yet Bam hasn't really been that offensive player. And when the heat played the Celtics in 2020, it was like one game Bam had a 30 point triple double and one game. Tyler hero had 36 and 10. And that's how Miami ended up advancing. They, could capture that magic again. It's just like the Heat were this great exception in all of NBA history in 2020, where you don't usually see a team win with like four different stars, each having a game mixed in between. So, all together, they're very similar teams. And I'm just going to call it a toss up at that point. I know Vegas is favoring the Celtics. So, like, I, I trust Vegas is smarter than me in doing basketball analysis there. But I just think this one's a toss up, man. I'm just really excited to watch it happen. And Boston, I guess, according to Vegas, is the better team. But I I think both of those teams could win the series, especially because Miami's going to get four home games mixed in there. And man, it's going to be really fun series. That's the best I can say there. I'm picking the Celtics, but that's just because the coin decided it. Like this, this game is a toss up. This whole
3: series is a toss up. It's literally that close. Where it's like, if I wasn't a Heat fan, I would have did the same thing. I would have flipped the coin and been like. All right, I said, Hedge Boston. Okay, go Boston. Like, they're literally going to do the toss-up. You know, they're going to do the... And they're going to look at each other and be like, we are so familiar, it almost doesn't make sense. Even from a coaching standpoint, there's not as great as... Eric Spolstra is, I think we're wa- we're witnessing a great coach in Ime Yadoka. Like, I don't think this is gonna be an anomaly. I think he's gonna continue to coach this team. The way he's gonna coach this team, I think they're gonna continuously be constructed and build around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and move on. And obviously, five years from now, all those players aren't gonna be there, but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will be. Ime Yadoka will be. And so when you look at it, you're like, it's literally like. The Spider-Man meme where they're looking at each other in the mirror. Like, I literally think this is that. And that's why even if the Celtics won in six or seven, because, you know, certain games could go away where either team was supposed to win and the other team won. This game is six or seven, I think, guaranteed regardless of which way it goes. And I'll be okay with the outcome because I think regardless of what team wins, I think we'll get an exciting NBA finals matchup regardless.
1: I won't be. I, I might cry myself to sleep at night.
3: I'll be okay if Miami loses, but I will be rooting against Boston. But I'll just look at it. Like, as much as I love my team, I still love watching great basketball and knowing that I'll be able to witness Jason Tatum in the NBA Finals and Jalen Brown. I know that the next series of productivity will be great. So that's why I won't be fully upset because as much as I love my team, I still love to watch the NBA finals and genuinely enjoy it. And I know I'd be able to enjoy it watching Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown go to work against whether it's Phoenix or Dallas or or Golden State.
1: As much as this series means to me, it, it definitely means a ton to the star Jason Tatum because on JJ Riddick's podcast, he made it a point to say that if there's any year that burns in his mind the most It's the bubble year where they had an opportunity to beat the Miami Heat and they failed to capitalize. So I I think as much as this pains me to this day, the fact that it pains the number one star on the Boston Celtics, who I think are the better team. I think that that's why I am picking Celtics to win in the series.
0: Yeah. Things can change mid series. There's all kinds of stuff that could get thrown up. And, and obviously in 2020, it was the bam on a bio block on Jason Tatum and in game one of, of nets and Celtics, like the Celtics winning game one changed the whole tune of the series. There there are little things in between the series that can change all of that stuff. But anyways, slump busters hope you enjoyed this preview. I hope you enjoy all of the content that's going to come out of this amazing, amazing, two weeks of basketball leading up to the finals, make sure to give a like, make sure to give a follow. Mo, where can people find you as well for all of the work that you're doing and more content as the heat go through the conference finals?
3: Yeah, you can follow me at Mo underscore cheese15 on Twitter, at Up and Flames Pod on Instagram. And you can also subscribe to Up and Flames Pod on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Just make sure you type in Up and Flames, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcast, you can listen to Up and Flames. So make sure you go tune into that. And I appreciate y'all for having me on.
0: Best two words in broadcasting more Slump Buster. We're heading into OT with one more topic
1: mercifully if you are the Phoenix Suns your game seven is officially over <laughs> it was bad it was a bad one uh 123 to 90 the final score but obviously anyone that watched this game or at least looked at the box score knows that it was not anywhere near that Close. We're, we're talking about, again about a 33 point final score difference. And to say that that wasn't close kind of gives you perspective on how bad this one was. One of the key stats Kyle and I were talking about before we hit record 27 points for Luka in the first half. The Phoenix Suns, 27 points. Credit to them for finishing with 90, honestly, <laughs> after 27 points. Not quite the worst in NBA history, but pretty bad. So now, Dallas Mavericks advance. Luca, phenomenal year continues. They will play the Golden State Warriors. What was your reaction to the final score out of Phoenix and your projection for the series to come?
0: Well, I think the the story is going to be Phoenix's collapse more than it's going to be Dallas's victory because Dallas did enough to set themselves up for a victory in the absence of Phoenix playing like maybe the worst game seven in the history of the NBA, or at least in my memorable lifetime, it's pretty close in that respect. We have to do
1: the obligatory throw this stat in there. Oh, and seven in game sevens for CP three. Yikes.
0: Yeah, You're right. I'm I'm not going to do the the antagonizing of Chris Paul. I think that's going to be kind of the story of the entire week or at least two days before it leaves. The news cycle is antagonizing Chris Paul. But my, my guess is that Phoenix just ran out of gas. At the end, like they went to the NBA finals last year. They played the full season this year with the best record in the league. They played two long series here. I'm just guessing they ran out of gas and that's why it was such a large margin of defeat. It it could be wrong in that respect, but my only counter,
1: my only counter with that one is just give credit to the Mavericks because since January, I always talk about how good the Celtics have been since January. The second best record in the NBA was the Dallas Mavericks just behind the Boston Celtics. So Clearly the Mavericks are in a little bit of a roll. We had them eliminated two playoff series ago when Luka came into the Utah series, Gimpy. And now they're advancing the Western Conference finals, which is an all-time great playoff run for Luka.
0: Which, by the way, I'm super duper excited about because I wanted the story, I wanted the series that gets us to start investing in Luka as his generation star because Luka is going to be his generation star. We already know this with him at 23 years old. He is what Kevin Durant was to his generation and LeBron was to his and Giannis' is to the most recent generation. This is what Luka is going to be. When Giannis declines in play and Embiid declines in play and Jokic declines in play, Luka and Jason Taylor and Ja Morant and all these guys at the at the young, even Trey Young. I'll throw Trey Young a bone here too. All these guys are going to assume the mantle of the best players in the NBA, and it's going to be led by future two-time MVP Luka Doncic. So I'm glad that Luka gets this one run to have us all be introduced to him and and playing the Warriors. Oh my gosh, it's going to be such a fun series. But in terms of this series, Dallas did enough to overcome Phoenix blowing the series like Chris Paul played really bad the last four games of the series. I don't know the explanation for it. It's more believable than say Kevin Durant having the worst series of his basketball career um, simply because Chris Paul is 38 years old and, and it's understandable that his body can't endure long stretches of basketball and he was coming off of a major injury in the middle of the season this year and a finals run last season like it's more believable that Chris Paul would play like that Devin Booker I'm so disappointed man I'm so disappointed with Devin Booker (laughs) because I had him better than Jason Tatum at the start of the playoffs
1: got the stats for that one like what was it well we can throw the final numbers up here It it was Devin Booker
0: and Chris Paul combined 0 for 12 to start the game. Uh, Devin Booker finishing with 11 points on three of 14 shooting 0 for four from the three point line. The leading scorer at halftime was Jay Crowder with five points. Uh, Devin Booker, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton did not make a shot from the field. You can probably find worse game seven performances. How does it get worse than literally not making a shot? You literally can't do worse than your three best players literally made zero shots.
1: It, <laughs> it's it, kind of like incredible. that. It's kind of like that meme dudes just out there running. I, I forget who had the zero 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 stat line.
0: Is it Tony Snell? Do we, Tony, is Snell, it Tony yes. Snell?
1: Former UNM Lobo, Tony Snell with the zero 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 and 30 some minutes. That's kind of like what the Suns were doing from a scoring perspective. But let's shift our focus to this Mavericks Warrior series. As we talked about, it is the coming out party for Luka Doncic as he puts himself in the pantheon of great players. But to really ascend, you have to win some of these series. Guys like Steph have already won these series. Guys like Clay have already won these series. Guys like Draymond have already won these series. So obvious experience advantage. For the Warriors, but they are coming out of a dogfight that they had with the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis did not pull any punches, literally, and they pushed the Warriors, even though that one only went to game six, you would say to the edge. I mean, that game five, in which they beat the Warriors by 50 points, still stands out as a little bit of an outlier, but something that tells you the type of games that the Warriors find themselves in and why I think this could actually be a troublesome matchup because. We came into the playoffs disrespecting guys like Spencer Dimwitty, Jalen Brunson, Maxi Kleba, these funny names that you, we love to say, but these are really good players. Dorian Finney-Smith really established himself as a 3D player in this series against the Phoenix Suns, and one of the big reasons why they're advancing. And if I was to throw in here that the – Dallas Mavericks are one of the best perimeter defenses in basketball in fact one of the reasons that they were on par with the Celtics in the season second half is they were one of the better perimeter defenses well what do the Golden State Warriors do well shoot the three we know it they're not quite live by the three die by three but it is one of the biggest facets of the game if they need a bucket their default is to have Steph or have Clay shoot the three if that's not available what's their second gear who needs to step up Who's that X factor for you for the Warriors and why you think that this is a series that they can win? I mean, it's a little bit
0: of a cop out, but I I think it's Clay Thompson. And I know it's weird for Klay Thompson to be an X factor because Clay Thompson is a Hall of Famer. Klay Thompson is essentially the second go-to scorer on the Golden State Warriors. And if Klay Thompson can play above the supporting cast of the Dallas Mavericks, where you don't know if... Dinwiddie or Dorian Finney-Smith or Reggie Bullock or Moxie Kleber is going to be the guy because they're all just kind of shooters. I also like the joke that the, the cast of the Dallas Mavericks is basically just Green Bay Packers wide receivers. It, it basically, you, you can play a game of are they Dallas Mavericks or a Packer wide receiver with some of those names. But still, at the same time, like I, th- I think it's Clay Thompson. And it's just generating enough offense to compensate for Luka and, and Steph Curry's back in first. Not the same player Luka is. Luca is a better player than Steph Curry. And and I think at the same time, it might not matter because Golden State's defensive ability, it's more reliable of Klay Thompson or Jordan Poole or Andrew Wiggins being an offensive guy, potentially.
1: I I would say though, when you mention a guy like being reliable, like a Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole isn't a guy that necessarily has pelts on the wall. We're talking about him as one of the most improved players in the NBA this season. So he doesn't have the same cachet as his other Hall of Fame teammates. And we saw him as a little bit more of a mixed bag against the Memphis Grizzlies. He wasn't that surefire shooter that he was in the Denver series. So I don't know if we're going to get the Denver Nuggets version of Jordan Poole or we're going to get the Memphis Grizzlies version of Jordan Poole, but he needs to play better. And then of course, there is the Gary Payton factor. Our guest, you know, our guest from KMBR, Dieter, did mention to us how moving forward, regardless of who the Golden State Warriors face not having Gary Payton out there to guard the perimeter was going to hurt them. So that's going to change up, of course, the defensive matchups. Do you put Draymond out there to try and his best and guard Luka? Is that your best winning advantage? Because obviously we've seen it in years past where Draymond wasn't afraid to go on the perimeter and guard LeBron. Is he going to do that same kind of style against Luka? Who's such a diverse scorer has so many different ways he can change the game, or is that going to be a waste of Draymond Uh, when you could be focusing your talents elsewhere. Um, But who do you focus that talent on? Do you focus it on Brunson? Do you focus it on Dimwitty? Uh, Again, Finney Smith, who's that second guy? It's been kind of a real depth approach and you got to give it to Jason Kidd and you got to give it to the Mavericks for being able to adjust to so many different lineups and sets to be able to take advantage. And again, they just blew out the Suns. That was never Mm -hmm. even a game. And whether it's the Suns running out of gas or good Mavericks, The Mavericks dominated in that game. They imposed their will on the Phoenix Suns early because of course, going into the game seven, Phoenix thought they had a chance. It wasn't until the first quarter and they saw how bad it was that Phoenix started to learn. They don't really have a chance in that game.
0: Yeah. And and I think it has to be both, right? It has to be Phoenix ran out of gas and Dallas played well. Although if Phoenix is going to play the worst game in the history of game sevens and in the NBA, like I guess... Dallas only had to play below average to beat them, but a thirty-three point game—they had to have done something. They were up fifty yeah. at one point; like they had to have done
1: something right in that respect. I want to just throw in my X factor. I think it's Jalen Brunson. I think that Jalen, when he was bad in those first two games against Phoenix, it was one of the more notable differences. And what was the difference between the Mavericks against the Jazz? And what was the difference between the Mavericks against the Suns? Jalen Brunson having a disappearing act in the first two games hurt them the most. And I think against a weaker Warriors defense, there's certainly one that's weaker without Gary Payton Jr. Jalen Brunson needs to be that second star for Luka. I, I think that that needs to be a guy that you could count on for 20 because Luca is going to be the guy that obviously I need a bucket. Luka, I'm putting in your hands. And if he scores 30, 40, whatever it needs to be, you, you just need Luka to have that game practically every single night if you're the Mavericks to win this series. But I need Jalen Brunson to at least give me three games where he's over 20 points.
0: I think this is the difference of the Jordan Poole versus Brunson and all these guys argument. It's like none of them technically have pelts on the wall. So like in the case of Jordan Poole, someone else might take it. Someone might take the spot for the Dallas Mavericks and you just need a little bit from Jordan Poole. It's all an interesting matchup. The thing that, you know, gives me pause in picking who's going to win the series is both of these teams are heavily reliant on a system offensively. So like the strength of the Warriors is defense. Okay. Luka Doncic is one of the closest things we have to unguardable in the NBA. And if Jason Kidd has like a functioning brain, he'll do a whole bunch of switches on defense so that the Warriors can't just stick Draymond on Luka on the perimeter. They'll just do do pick and rolls and switch wiggins or switch clay thompson they're just going to do everything they can to get matchups for luca and i think the interesting part about this series is both teams are so dependent on that system that they can play themselves out of games by not having good shooting days whether it's dallas and the supporting cast of green bay packers wide receivers or golden state who is still a good shooting team but they're not the historically great shooting team that they once were so they can play themselves out of games on both sides and that means it's going to be a really interesting series as you go into game five, game six, game seven, because as you shorten the sample size, each game is going to get increasingly more important because it's not about who wins a best of seven. It's about who wins game five or game mm. six or you're, game you're seven. You're
1: already saying it. Are you are you projecting a little? Is that going to be the prediction that we're going to get to a game five, a game six, a game seven? Kind of a little better. Here, the floor is yours. What is your prediction for the Western Conference Finals?
0: Here's my thought process for this series. The Golden State Warriors are going to be up three games to two at some point in this series. Now, what happens after that? We'll have to wait and see, because game six is going to be in Dallas. Maybe we have a game six Clay Thompson. Maybe we have a Steph Curry game. Maybe Luka puts up 50-point triple doubles. Anything and everything in between is possible. If I'm going to throw out a pick, I'm going to go... Warriors in seven. I don't feel strong conviction in this one, but I feel slightly stronger conviction than I do about the Heat Celtics series.
1: Okay. Okay. I like the veteran presence that the Warriors are going to bring to the series, but I don't love it. I I feel as though there's been some notable decline from these guys, especially as the season has wore on. And coming off the series that they just had with Memphis, I I feel like that took a lot out of them. And I, I don't know if they're going to necessarily be able to. Rely on some of the motivation that the Grizzlies gave them in that series that they used to blow the doors off them in a couple games. There will the trash talking of Luka kind of get in their heads. We'll we'll see. But I, I guess one one other big thing I should ask you over under on Luka putting up fifty in at least one game.
0: Uh, I'll go over. If you gave me forty five, I'd feel very strongly about over.
1: Okay, okay. My pick. You know, I, I'm going to go upset here. I, I'm going to go with those young. Dallas Mavericks, I feel like we're seeing a LeBron-esque ascension for Luka. And I feel as though this is his time. I hope it's not his time to win a title because I have investment in the Eastern Conference. But I do think that it's his time to lead a team to a finals appearance. Based off all the things he does and all the things he does well, I think the Suns were a tougher matchup and they got past the Suns. Going into the Warriors, I think what they do well, again, their perimeter defense and the Warriors' propensity to rely on the three-point shot is going to be the ultimate demise because when they can't get a bucket via the three, I think that they're not going to be able to get a bucket anywhere else on this quick-adjusting, fast-switching Dallas Mavericks team. Jason Kidd's done a great job with this team. The role players are rounding into form. Whether they they play well on the road, I think that's going to be a differentiating factor in who wins the series because they were kind of weak on the road against Phoenix, but obviously came up to play in game seven. Luca's going to lead the team to the NBA Finals. Seven games. I'm going to say seven games. Uh, so hedging a little, hedging a little, because seven games, that's all it could go to. But seven games, Dallas Mavericks. That is my prediction. Warriors of seven versus Mavericks in seven. Juju Talk Sports. Kyle better Stay safe, happy, healthy, and hit that subscribe button. We will see you on the next one.